welcome back to the Gaming Podcast Live. I'm your host, Mia Byte, and we're here every two weeks to talk gaming stories, news, and gossip with your favorite content creators. Now, every podcast, I'm joined by an awesome guest host. And today, it is friend of the show, one of gaming's own rising star class. It is Luke Boogie. <laughs> hello. hello 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 how are you doing this fine oh, I, fine I'm day grand um i'm not on bound for a wedding actually i was at a wedding last night i did a lot of traveling today but mm. I, feel, I feel really good I had a grand Wait, meeting. when you say you had a lot of traveling to do did you come back like today this morning what what, what are we, what are we talking on about? today i was home roughly about half half two three o'clock Oh, and you have energy for this? Cool. If I ever go <laughs> traveling, I'm absolutely wiped, I tell you what. Like, I yeah. always have time for you, Mia. <laughs> oh, you absolute sweetheart. You absolute sweetheart. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm uh I, I, I'm a little bit under the weather today. So I'm 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 struggling, but we're gonna struggle through it. This is gonna be the sick cast. It's gonna be the one where Mia loses her voice halfway through. I've already resigned myself to that. So if you hear any coughing and spluttering. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm at the acceptance point here. And um, right. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Just as a quick reminder, for those of you joining us live, you can interact uh, with the podcast both here in Twitch chat and a special dedicated section over in the gaming magazine Discord. Uh, in fact, the whole Discord is getting a revamp very, very soon. So uh, definitely make your way over there. It's going to be... Yeah, yeah, it, it, it needs some work. It needs some work. Listen, I, when I came in, I looked at that Discord, I was like... Yeah, that's that's a jumbled mess. It needs to be fixed, and no yeah. attention. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get that done. We're we're gonna get that absolutely done. And of course, don't forget you can keep up with all the latest news features uh, and uh, everything else at Gaming Magazine by visiting us online at gamingmag.com. Now we have a, a very super special guest this week. Um, Someone I'm quite honored to have on the podcast is somebody that I've personally been following for a very long time. Uh, listen to a, a bunch of the shows that uh, she is involved in, as well as, as following her journalistic career. It is none other than the lovely uh, Laura Kate Dale. Is it Magnet Dale or Dale Mag- Magnet? Uh, it's Magna Dale is the Magna the Dale. Surname. Uh, I I was a big believer that Dale Magnet should work because it's like Dale uh, my, my, my wife is now a Dale Magnet. I think but. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Honestly, I would have pushed for that, but um, yeah, yeah, Magna Dale still still yeah. works too. How are you doing today? Welcome onto the show. I'm really good. Uh, you are getting the last little bit of my voice that will exist before I go scream at rock concerts for a week. So Hell, like, yeah. this is the last time I will have anything sembling a good podcast voice so enjoy it while you can <laughs> wonderful you said uh just before the show you were going to see yeah. uh it was mcr my chemical romance yeah i yeah. they were my favorite band in my teens and i've decided to because they broke up for a decade and came back i'm like i'll go see every uk show they do because mm. i don't know when i'll see them again <laughs> That's still that's gotta be really cool. Honestly, like one of my one of my favorite um bands it's gonna sound really weird. Uh so growing up, um I was surrounded, my dad was like really big into music and he's actually like a, a local uh like karaoke DJ type guy now. Um but he used to play all kinds of music and, and was very much into 70s prog rock. So I got very much into the electric light orchestra. Uh, absolutely love that band. Um 
And uh, I, I had the chance to go see Jeff Lynne uh, live. And I was like, yes, I got to do it because I don't know when that's ever going to be a possibility, you know, especially because they, they broke up for so long too. And of course, it wasn't the same, wasn't the original members because um, unfortunately some of them had passed away, but it was still such an incredible experience. So um, I'm hoping your MCR experience is going to be absolutely fantastic. I'm, I'm sure it will be. But like, yeah, that that's the thing sometimes when like a band breaks up for that long, you sort of resign yourself to, I'm never going to get a chance to see him. And mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to grab the opportunity while it's there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I wasn't alive in the 70s. Uh, no, no matter how old I look here, I wasn't around then. Uh, so again, just latching onto those opportunities when you yeah. can. It's so good to do that. Uh, now, as always, we kick off with the weekly recap. Sorry, that's a that's a cat jumping down for you audio listeners. Uh, we talk about everything that's, that we've been doing this week and over the past couple of weeks. Uh, actually, Luke, you can go first. Go first. I'm, I'm going to give my voice a rest. Tell us what you've been up to recently. What have I been up to? I have been tripping and falling back into Skyrim, which I think everyone does every every like year or a couple of months whatever. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, what if I just add one or two mods up? But this one looks nice. And oh, what does what does this one do? And suddenly I've got like a hundred of mods, and it's like, let's mm-hmm. let's mod it till it breaks. So that's what I've been doing with my team the last couple of weeks. Just I'm, just I'm Skyrim. I like what what are we talking here? What level of mod? Are there Thomas the oh. Tank Engines flying through the sky? What's what's going on there? So I can appreciate a good like Thomas the Tank Engine with like. Taylor Tubbies and lightsabers and all the other fun stuff, but I, I like like really immersive mods because I'm a big nerd. Mm. Like I'm playing this like Khajiit cat boy who like only uses punching, and it's just absolutely really satisfying to me about running up to a dragon and just punching it to death as this cat boy. <laughs> and I personally really enjoyed that. I, I can hard. Uh, the, the the last time I put mods into Skyrim, um, it was purely so there would be a wider variety of animals I could have as pets that would follow me around <sighs> and be my best friend. There is a oh. wide variety of, do you want this animal to be your best friend? Do it. <laughs> I oh, have a that sounds amazing. Of Skyrim, which is exactly yeah. that, where you get them as little animal companions and I have this box. So okay, so I, I, um, I this is going to be admission for me. I never finished Skyrim. I'm one of those players. Um, I don't really get into like the big open world games uh, from um, oh god, the developers Bethesda. completely Bethesda. Bethesda. Yeah, I'm not really into Bethesda games. I never really have been. Um, because I get like uh just like choice paralysis like you're out in this big open world and i know you have a place that you can go but there's so much to do i'll do a little bit of it and then i'll be like okay uh, it's too much for me i gotta do something else but you're saying that there's like little pets can that can follow you around can you get yes. a turtle to follow you around no because there's no turtles in the oh, game <laughs> there's no turtles in skyrim I myself it's like I mean, what 11 it, years old yeah you can mod other animals that previously weren't in the game into the game but a lot of them aren't oh. interactable like i believe there's a mod where you can add ducks and they're just jpegs of ducks that hang out on the water <laughs> that's such a good idea though <laughs> <laughs> All right. if i can feed the ducks i'm i'm down to give it another go like if, if you can like throw food into the water and the jpegs just like interact with I, I, yeah i think that might be a little bit too advanced for a mod maybe i'm not sure i, I agree I, I i i just want a game where i can feed the ducks forget skyrim that would be i i'd find a pond and that would be the rest of the adventure done Mm, exactly yeah i just want um duck pond simulator at this point in my life (laughs) that's uh, to be fair uh, i did i did vr chat for a very very limited period of time and um one of the worlds you can go to is literally just a pond with ducks in it 
and you can like feed the ducks. I'm like, oh. this is the best experience I've had using VR so far. Just feeding ducks. It's amazing. Is that a, is that all you've been up to, by the way, Luke? Or have you been um, just Skyrim? Skyrim, playing about, oh, I've actually found, I found this. Right, so I don't play games like this off, like on stream because I just think they're exciting. But see, to me, they're really good, right? And I found this game called Planet Crafter. Um, uh, my, Crafter. my wife has been playing Planet Crafter. I I've been catching bits it. of it from the side. This is the terraforming a planet one. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I've not it's, heard of this. This sounds amazing. It seems really nice. It's like fairly, fairly new. Like it's very similar. It kind of reminds me of like old Subnautica before it kind of became as big as it is. It's got so much potential. I've never seen um a game with this concept to do quite well before it's really really mm-hmm. interesting i'm really intrigued by it yeah oh, I've, I've not had a chance to play it myself but my wife plays a lot of those sort of um you need a certain resource to survive so you can explore further yeah, to build yeah. all mm-hmm. kind of games and like this is the most that one has grabbed her in a long time where she's gone it's yeah. not annoying me it just feels wonderful and mm-hmm. it's very joyful and i need to give it a look because like it's for someone that plays, like seeing someone that plays a lot of the those games, be like, "This is the good one." Tells mm-hmm. me everything I need to know. I'm not gonna lie. Like at first, I was like, mm, "We'll try it out, see what happens." But it's got a demo. It's got a demo on Steam, and I was like, "I'll get, I'll get the demo first. And within like five ten minutes, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna buy the full game now." <laughs> like, so yeah, it's, it's a real, really good if you're into those games. How much, uh, how much resource management is there in that game? Because I, I think I feel like that's the only thing that holds me back from those type of games is, is literally just managing. It's, it's fairly straightforward there's not like a huge table of materials everything's fairly easy-ish to find um if you kind of go explore you stumble into it and like the game guides you without um kind of making it a bit too easy like you'll see something off in the distance like me any any kind of open-ish game i'll see something shiny in the distance be like what's that and then it's my goal to go and find that shiny thing. So there's lots of that in the game, which is really good. Mm, mm, that sounds one awesome. Of, one of the things that I heard about it that made me like very eager to give it a look is that in these kind of games, I always worry that I'm going to invest resources in the wrong thing and completely lose out when like I either can't get those resources back or I only get a fraction back if I tear down what I've wrongly invested in. And for, mm. I believe that this gives you all of your resources back yes. with zero penalty if you break mm. down the thing you've built. So it's very easy yeah. to build a thing and if you change your mind just have everything back no no problem well, that's so, awesome i'm so, like, sorry yeah very respectful of your time yeah without kind of diving into it too much but it kind of encourages that once you hit like certain parts of the game where you kind of maybe should consider rebuilding somewhere else that i didn't realize earlier on but it's it's really really interesting it's a really really cool game i, I don't know how i get on with that i i constantly that sounds sounds absolutely better for me because i'm one of those gamers who will play an rpg and just not use any of the items that i pick up i just have them because i, I think you know i might need them later on you know yeah. final boss fight this, when you get to the final boss fight well there might be another phase after this i, I don't want to use those elixirs yet you know so uh yeah that sounds great not actually losing anything that that's uh that's definitely peachy mm-hmm. for me uh laura what have uh, what have you been up to recently uh- in terms of things I've been playing, I've been playing one game and one game only for the last like two weeks now. Uh, Vampire Survivors. Are we oh yes, I've seen yeah. this. I actually own it. I got gifted it recently, but um, and I've seen some yeah. gameplay. But it it, I, uh, it looks like it, a good time waster. Yeah, it's the thing I've been playing when I'm not on stream because this is the worst game ever to stream. It does not play well with streaming <laughs> rates. Um, but it is a uh, it's a game that's about like I think it's two pounds here in the UK, so it's really cheap. 
Um, mm-hmm. You pick a character and you attack on an automated timer. Uh, so like the, the default starting character does a whip to one side, whichever way you're facing. And like every X number of seconds, it hits the whip. Waves of enemies come in. You attack them, try and pick up gems to level up and build up your repertoire of attacks that are happening. Um, mm-hmm. You can either level up the weapons you already have. So like for the example of a whip, it starts by just whipping forward, then it'll whip forward and back, so it's getting both sides, then it'll uh, whip more frequently, so less time between activations. Mm-hmm. And then you start stacking on a bunch of other kinds of weapons and a bunch of abilities that augment those weapons, and some of the abilities can let them upgrade into even better versions of the weapons, and you're basically trying to make yourself unkillable. Um, yeah, you're trying to get- yeah, like if if you build a good uh, a good uh, build, you're basically trying to get to a point where thousands of enemies will start rushing at you, and <laughs> oh, nothing God. is getting within a circular radius of you, and everything's popping numbers and flashing, and gems are everywhere, mm-hmm. and you feel very powerful, and it's very good for the ADHD dopamine seeking. Ah, <laughs> oh, hell yeah! So well, look at all these numbers and shady things are on the screen. Let's uh, go! <laughs> I'm assuming um, this is one of those games that that you can only do so well the first run that you do it, and then you have to like upgrade yourself over um, time. Is that, is that how that works? You can do as well as you want on the first run. Um, oh, really? There's, so there's individual levels that each have like different layouts, different kinds of enemies, and things like that, and different gimmicks to them. But the thing that will limit you is, at most, you can spend half an hour in a given level. Um, at which point the Grim Reaper will come in and just murder you. And you're basically oh, trying to make the best build you can within 30 minutes to kill as many things, get resources to build, to purchase permanent upgrades, to purchase new characters that will have new abilities so that next time you try the run, you can have some different synergies going on. Um, it is all just, can you make yourself get to a point where like, I played a run of this the other day where 25,000 enemies was how many I defeated by the end of the half hour. Um, And by the end of it, it was just, I had like sparkles shooting up and down, books circling around me. I had holy water splashes everywhere. I had like, it's just chaos and sensory input and it's very satisfying. (laughs) Honestly, yeah, that sounds amazing. As somebody who um, I really love games like, uh, well, roguelikes generally, but games like uh, Binding of Isaac, where you're going through different iterations, getting all those powers and like mixing them together. That sounds that yeah. sounds really fun. It's, yeah, it's it's really nice. It leaves a lot open to discovery as you play. Like um, uh, a very basic example, um, a lot of the the weapons will have a specific power up that if you have mm-hmm. both of them and you upgrade both fully, you get to have a better version of the item. And it won't tell you what those combinations are um, until mm-hmm. you've done them. And you'll start getting like, occasionally it'll go, if you pick this, it will synergize with that uh, once you've done it once. But like, you have to, you know, discover what's going to work together over time. It's just very satisfying numbers happen. Mm. I f- my, my brain gets happy. <laughs> yeah, kind of like the, uh, the, almost like the clicker games, I imagine as well, yeah. where it's literally just numbers go up. It is It is very cheap. Numbers go up with satisfying visual effects, but enough stuff to unlock that it doesn't just lose the novelty too quickly. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, for a game that I think costs about £2, I can't recommend it highly enough. Yeah. It's, it's great. Honestly, yeah, I, I'm surprised. Like, because when you look at the game from the outside looking in, it, it looks like uh, the most the cheapest looking game almost imaginable without being some kind of asset flip. 
uh, because of like the the pixel graphics that are even involved. I'm, like, I looked at it, I'm like, really? This is this is a good game? Are you you you're serious it, about that? I I couldn't quite understand exactly how much it was going to get its hooks in me until I started mm-hmm. playing and all of the sparkles started flying. I was like, mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. This game's actually been on my wish list for a bit because I've also heard nothing but good things about this, but I was very like judging the book by its cover and I'm like, mm. and I think even I think even the um, case explosion as well would like, yeah. like to see a wee bit about this. But it's been on my wish list for a time, and you know what? I think I think I'll just get it. I think I'll just try it's, and see what happens. It's a really nice one for like if you've got just half an hour at most and you need to play, you want to play something that you know won't last too long. It's mm, a really true. nice little dopamine hit. Mm. Mm. Is it just on Steam? I believe it's just on Steam at the moment. Unfortunately. Oh, that sounds like like a perfect Switch game, you know? So or like you can just I, take it. I, I will acknowledge that like a big part of why I've loved this as much as I have is because I've got the Steam Deck and I've been able to play oh. it in a handheld factor. How is that, yeah. by the way? It's like um, I, not you can't get them at the moment. So how how is the how is it? Is a, it is a really nice piece of tech that wants desperately for you to forget that it's a PC. <laughs> um, <laughs> it you will keep running up against stuff where it's like, oh yeah, this is PC gaming. You might try and have nice fancy UI that looks like a console. Mm. This is a PC. There are going to be games that are marked as perfectly playable without issue and they then won't boot up when you try and boot them. Oh my god. Okay. It's, a PC, it's a PC in all yeah. the all the best and worst ways. I, lo- I love it for my personal use case of I hate sitting at a computer to play games. I mm. genuinely, if a game's only on Steam, I probably won't play it, even if it's a game I really like. The Steam Deck has mm. made me go, oh yeah, I'll play PC games. <laughs> I, honestly, like I, I was looking at it and I was considering it because I, I, I've gotten very, very much into Fortnite recently now that they've added the the no build mode on there and i it's on every platform imaginable obviously and i tried playing it on the switch and i'm just like this is unplayable comparatively to the actual like pc version i can't see anything um and so i was thinking like maybe i'll, I'll just get uh, the the uh, steam deck very unfortunate name by the way for people who are in this the streaming yes, sphere yes. the number of times i've muddled the steam deck and stream deck names up is mm-hmm. a lot <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's that's, mm. uh, but yeah. So I thought maybe I could use it for Fortnite. Maybe I could use it for some other stuff because a, a lot of what I want to do now is um, when I'm not streaming, I don't want to be at this desk anymore. That's, I want to sit down on a couch. Or... I I've said this to people for years. Like the reason I don't play PC games is the PC that's powerful enough to run games is in the office, and mm. that feels like work. If I have to sit at this computer to play a game, it feels like work. If I can do it on the sofa in a little handheld, it doesn't feel like work mm. anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly yeah, yeah. it's great for that <laughs> I, uh, I i completely like miss those kind of like just being on a couch and playing video yeah. games especially like with with like friends around and stuff obviously uh the pandemic didn't really allow for that so uh, uh getting back into those like more casual laid-back experiences is oh. is really kind of important um funnily enough i actually played something that was very very casual and laid back recently uh i played the stanley parable ultra deluxe <gasps> Now, I had never played the Stanley Parable before, and I, 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 I had no expectations going in. And let me just tell you, I have not laughed at a game so much in a very long time. It was, um, it was hilarious. Uh, but let me, let me get into what, uh, what this game is. So essentially, it's a, a first-person uh, kind of, I don't want to say the word walking simulator because it's so much more than that. It's essentially you play as Stanley, uh, who's his 
trapped in an office building and you're trying to find your way out of there while a a wonderful narrator just constantly talks to you the whole time um obviously you'll go through different permutations of endings and it can end very very quickly and it's essentially a game that can't necessarily be completed it has a bunch of different endings but the game will like evolve and change over time and the narrator will start uh the narrator acknowledges what you're doing it's all very like meta and 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 weird and i love the hell out of it have you have you both played stanley parable i i've played it and i'm very curious about your experience because i had Mm. the very different experience where i played the original when it first came out and i came back to ultra deluxe uh when it's just released and i'm very curious how you feel about the stanley parable ultra deluxe because a big part of like the stuff that was added into ultra deluxe feels very geared at people who played the original waited a long time and then played the sequel and i'm very curious how well it's very potentially is for you it's a very odd experience for me because i ended up like coming across new content before I'd done a lot of the existing content. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of getting like this inside look of things and like a lot of like meta humor being thrown at me. I don't really want to go into spoilers on the new content. Yeah. Um, but I, it, it's, it's weird. It's still, it still kind of worked because when you know it's, uh, it's, it's got that meta humor and it's self-referential in that way. Um, it, I just, I just essentially just, just went along with it. Uh, it was a fun time. And, I feel like I had I would have had more fun with this now going into it blind than if I'd played the original and then come back to this for the new content. Because as far as I can tell, it didn't look like there was a huge amount of extra content there. So I feel um, like if you had played the original and come back, the, it wouldn't the, have been... The new stuff adds about the same amount of content as was in the okay. original game. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that new content is remixed and playing off of existing mm. old content like there is about as many new endings added with about as much new dialogue but it's a very different kind of thing in that it is it is largely narratives about the fact that you're interacting with the content in a different way rather yes. than new content in the same mm-hmm. way it's uh it's like the existing content recontextualized in certain situations yeah. Um, like you're doing the exact same thing I, I imagine that you would have done in the original game, except it's just giving you different dialogue, which is is making it um, a more a different experience essentially. And um, I, I don't know, I found it incredibly charming. Uh, I, I it was just it was just so weird, and and it was it was nice to have like that experience where there are no expectations on me. I could go at my own pace. I could literally just interact with things the way I wanted to. I could scream at uh, Twitch chat and just stop the game if I wanted to and just scream at them for telling me to, for backseating me so much. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the one thing. It can be a real bad game for that. Yeah. Particularly yeah, playing it, it today <laughs> and not five, six years ago. Um, did you mm-hmm. manage to go into this not knowing too much about the premise? Uh, I feel like I had seen some stuff um, about the original. Uh, I, I'd like I have this vague recollection of uh, like this thing where you break out of the world and then you're in a white space. I knew about that, but I'd never played the original. And I'm like, I, I know that's a thing. I don't know how to do it. And I don't know where it is. I did end up doing it. Yeah. Um, but other than I knew it was like meta and there were things, there were like so yeah. many different endings you can get. And I'd also played through the beginner's guide as well, which I mm. assu- which I was the, was that the sequel? Um, kind of the same developer i'm not sure uh, one of one of the same people involved not entirely yeah. the same team but yeah 
Yeah. So um, I kind of had an idea of the kind of experience that I was going into, but I, I'm, I was pretty fresh to it otherwise. Yeah. yeah. I, mm-hmm. as, as someone that came back to this, like when the, the Ultra Deluxe content came out, I know it like it, people have felt mixed on it. I mm-hmm. really like the ultra, the the new content in Ultra Deluxe. Um, mm-hmm. Having now finished it, in that, like, I don't want to, I don't want to be too spoiler about it. I'm trying to think about the best way to say this. Um, it's very difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Without without it, mm. it feels like it's very aware of what the original was and about how difficult it is to try and replicate something that is so lightning in a bottle. Yes. And is a very interesting piece of art about how you, as a creator, respond to your own past works. Mm. And I mm. think it's really interesting. I think it's got some interesting stuff to say in amongst the silly nonsense. Oh, oh, definitely. I think it has some some amazing things to say about like the the games industry and, and sequels yeah. in general as well, and and in terms of of iterations on games in the same series and how they go about changing those experiences or not changing those experiences. Yeah. I guess. Um. So if you, I guess, if you love video games in general, you love the way that they're structured. And uh, you want kind of critique of the games industry at the same time. It's definitely worth giving a go. If you played the original, I think you, you, it's worth playing for the extra content I, just just because yeah. of that as well. I, mm-hmm. As someone in that position, I think the extra content has something distinct and unique of its own to get across that is worth. Like, if you enjoyed the original, there is something of value to be found in in the new content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things I actually did recently is um, I've I've started reading manga again, um, and I, I read the first volume of Spy X Family because everybody's been like raving about it in the anime. It's popped up out of nowhere this last week. Suddenly, everyone's talking about it. Yeah, everybody's talking about it, and it's just like wow. Apparently, it's like the the best thing since sliced bread. So I'm like, okay, well, you know what? I I I kind of don't want to watch anime at the moment, so I'm going to buy the manga. And I'm going to jump into it that way because I kind of want that clean experience first before I have any like voices put inside my head. And unfortunately, I actually saw a clip of the English dub of the uh, the anime and the the voice for the little girl just infected me. Uh, not in a good way because I, I wasn't like vibing with it. Um, and, and yeah, anyway, Spy X Family. Uh, I've had a lot of fun reading it so far. I've only read the first volume because it's sold out volumes two and three are sold out everywhere really? and it's really difficult to get a hold of at the moment yeah yeah it's it's impossible like everywhere that i saw it was sold out and i, I was actually in a bookstore a couple of weeks ago and i saw that they had the entire like um released volumes there and i was like should i get this i wish i had because i could not find volume two or volume three which after reading volume one you really want to go on to two and three <laughs> i have four five and six after that but like i, I i'm like stuck you in this holding pattern right now Exactly, I can't skip. So, uh, Spy X, Fa- X Family is this. Uh, it's, it's this. Um, obviously, it's a, a Japanese uh, manga. It is about a, a spy uh, called whose code name is Twilight, and essentially, he goes on a new mission where he has to defend his his nation by infiltrating a school. So he has to set up like a uh, a fake family in order to do so. Um, I don't want to spoil too much about it, but he ends up bringing in a um, a little girl who is an orphan and definitely more than she sees, and she's she's hilarious, she's amazing, and also runs into um, uh, 
somebody who can pretend to be his wife, which is beneficial for both of them. Uh, but little does he know she's actually an assassin and she doesn't know that he's a spy. So you have these three weird individuals all living under one roof. And it's it's very comedic. It doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, the, the, the main part of the, the first book that I read was literally just trying to get this little girl who is pretending to be older than she is so she gets adopted in the first place to get enrolled at this prestigious school where you have to score a certain test number and the the organizers are like extremely um uh, anal about who they let in they're like oh we're only going to let in the best of the best and a lot of the comedy comes from like the interactions between them it's very it's very gag uh, heavy and um, I've just been really enjoying it so far. It's actually reminded me a bunch of when I used to um, read Ranma One Half and just this, the inherent comedy that was in that series. Obviously, that bit of a weird series aside, uh, but yeah, I've been really, really enjoying it so far, and um, and I can see why people are, are super hyped for it because there's uh, there's there's cuteness there, there's the, the hot waifu, there's the uh, hot husbando, and just a lot of comedy. So that's been that's been a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Luke, would you uh, have you ever gotten into anime in general? So I was, or, or I was just googling some bits and pieces there, right? So I've I've actually not heard about this before today, and I read this. Really, like, I'm surprised. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. Um, and I read this synopsis when we sent it across, and I was like, "Oh, this actually seems pretty good." <laughs> like mm-hmm. even um, like some bits and pieces I've seen before. Like I've just been kind of waiting for because I used to be like a proper weeb back in my day like, <laughs> like like watch like a lot of anime whatever um and i just kind of fell off it because i like see as you get older you get busier and i want to sit there and, like watch it and read the subtitles not have it as background noise while checking twitter like i do with literally everything else like mm, mm. but that's actually seems really interesting so i think i'm gonna try this and see what it's like it's like really good fun there's been a couple of animes recently where I've gone like, yeah, I'll, I'll pay attention to something again. Um, I binge watched one on a flight recently um, and I'm the first season was fantastic. And I've been recommended to read the manga after this because it get the, the anime adaptation isn't great of beyond season one. Uh, oh, what is it called? Um, the Promised Neverland. Oh, is that the, the one about the orphanage? Yeah. Or- so, yeah. So the deal here is that you've got this orphanage um all of the children very well looked after, very happy. Um, they've got to be adopted by, like, at the very latest, they'll be adopted by the age 13. And one day, one of these kids gets adopted and uh, their favorite teddy bear gets left behind. And one of the ki- a couple of the kids are like, oh, we've got to go rush to the gate and, you know, make sure that she's got this before she leaves. And mm-hmm. they catch a glimpse of this monstrous creature that has, like, torn apart this kid and consumed them. And it becomes apparent apparent that they are a farm of humans for monsters. And the thing that makes the show really interesting, like, first of all, like, as horrifying as the premise sounds, it's very light on, on, like, the horror elements. It uses them very sparingly to be like, here is a little burst of what the fucking stakes are, and then we back down. And it is about a bunch of kids trying to work out, we are children. How do we keep Mm. these adults from knowing that we know about this? How do we create a plan where we can get like all of the kids out of here safely, including some who were like six months old? How do we transport a bunch of like infants with us to make an escape plan? How do we do an escape without getting caught? And the sort of like weirdly the back and forth energy between the kids trying to make their escape plan and the adults trying to work out what's up 
felt very reminiscent of like something like Death Note from a decade ago. The oh, sort of like, okay. Yeah. Like, we know that you know, and you know that we know, but we're having nobody's to gonna it. say it. Yeah. Nobody's gonna like. How yeah. do we? How do we not show our hand as to what's going on? Yeah, kind of keep the tension mm-hmm. going. Yeah, oh, that's it's, awesome. Um, yeah. The first season is as far as I've watched, and apparently, like the second season of the anime skips a bunch of the stuff from the manga and comes up with its own ending that isn't good. So I'm going to swap oh. to the manga. But the first season is some of the best, like, dramatic tension TV I've mm. seen in a long time. Like, I was finishing episodes and being like, I, I need the next one right now. It, oh, it was mm. good. <laughs> I, you, you describe it a lot better than I would. Literally, what was going through my head then? It's uh, it's like Abe's Odyssey with child killing. That's that's, yeah. that's literally what was going through my. Head. Not Eve's Odyssey. Actually, oh God! Oh God! That actually seems really cool. I think I'm yeah. going to add this to my list. Also, it's, mm-hmm. it's a really good one that knows just how much horror or just how much violence to use in very sparing amounts mm-hmm. to not let the fact that there are stakes slip away from you. Mm-hmm. I think I'm always very um, cautious with anime because I remember getting heavily invested in uh, a show called Dead Man's Wonderland when I was mm-hmm. younger. Which is essentially like a like a prison, and these people can use blood powers and whatever. Like I don't want to get into it too much because it's it's from years ago, but I, I thought it was one of the best things I've seen in my entire life, and it like was proper cliffhanger ending. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm not getting another one of these. That's it, the end. We're also not going to write anymore. And I was like, this is this is why I wait until finished airing, and then I'm like, right, what what are all my anime friends telling yeah. me is good and mm. like a way to enjoy the story? Well, cool, I'll try it now. So disappointed. So after that, after that heartbreak that I went through, I have to be very cautious with what I go into next. Honestly, there's nothing more frustrating than than like an anime ad- adaptation uh, or just a, a series in general that doesn't have an ending. Like, in, in, at, like, or even waiting like really long time. I started watching RE Zero, um, and I got to like the end of of season one, and there was a, a massive wait for season two, and now I'm at the end of season two, and there's this massive. I don't even know if it's coming back again, and uh, that's ridiculous. And my sister showed me this anime. I can't remember what it's called, but it's about this princess that I don't know. She gets um, betrayed by her own family member, like her cousin or something, like kills her dad. And she has to go out into the world and, and like, uh, find these dragon princes. To, it's very weird. Uh, find these dragon princes to, like, help her get her a kingdom back and transform her into this dainty little princess to this warrior woman. And uh, we got to the end of the first season. And my sister just tells me after that, oh, yeah, this was cancelled. <laughs> and I'm like... I, you, you didn't want to tell me that before we we got started. Like, like it's not like I wanted to know. The, the one of those that I'm still sat waiting for more of is uh, Yuri on Ice, the nice figure oh, skating anime. Yes, yes. it's so good, and I desperately want it. It's been years. I need. Oh my god! Yeah. I mean, other than the, you know, the the, yeah. the weird queer baiting that's in there where the, they never quite show the the, the authentic relationship that, that should yeah. totally be in there. Like, I loved that it's, so it's, much. It is, it is impressive that they can have a pair of male characters exchange rings that go on the, the, the ring fingers and mm-hmm. still not technically have crossed the line into saying <laughs> there is nothing gay. That is... Yeah impressive but that's fine i just lie to myself and say it's canon and that they're very good yeah, no it's, it's totally like, canon yeah they're totally they're totally yeah. gay yeah. yeah 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 even if they don't show it that's uh that's the thing uh speaking of queer representation actually in uh, in media did anybody watch multiverse of madness 
obviously, you know, Disney, Disney don't give your money to Disney. Look, I'll say there are ways yeah. of watching that film without giving there are Disney ways. Money, yeah. like, Exactly. I, I have seen it. Um, that is, that film came out of nowhere in terms of its mm-hmm. tone. I, here's all I will say about that film. Uh, I was getting a taxi home from seeing that film, and our taxi driver was like, oh, what did you see at the cinema? And I said, uh, you know, like, ah, oh, there's the, it, 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 just seen this. They were like, should I take my kids to see it? I was like, mm, oh no, oh no, mm. children to see this. This, no. is, this is a horrifying time. It's, it's, it's definitely, oh. it's definitely like, uh, it's the most Raimi film I yeah. think I've ever seen. Uh, Spider-Man 3 meets Evil Dead, definitely. Yeah, uh, sh- all up in there. Sure, they sure let the creator of the Evil Dead put some Evil Dead into, mm-hmm. into the movie. Mm-hmm. I will say it went in some very, very weird and unexpected directions without like uh, with, without spoiling anything. And I do definitely think that they did one of the characters uh, dirty in terms of like their character development and, and where they were uh, when we last left them and, and where they are now. Um, there, there are reasons that kind of it's kind of justified, but it still felt a little bit off to me because it essentially kind of like repeats the same kind of lesson that they went through in in other media uh, again I'm, I'm trying not to be specific with it because i don't want to spoil this it this is the tv show a piece of media they were involved yeah, in. yeah yeah um, exactly i'm going to disagree i think i personally feel like that tv show piece of media was a middle a middle stone that made this narrative not feel okay. completely out of the blue yeah I, obviously without yeah. that without that this wouldn't make any sense yeah. whatsoever I, yeah i feel like largely the takeaway was Mm, yeah, I, I, I don't know how better to talk about it. I think that one explored one solution to that problem and this escalated mm. in a different way. I didn't feel oh, like definitely. Really. I mean, it was awesome to watch like some of the visuals in that and just 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 I, having like a more horrific Marvel movie, especially with like the, the, the mid film um, sequences that are there. The, the way I try oh, and good. describe this film is, you know, sometimes how when you watch like animated shows for kids and they decide they want to mm-hmm. do something horary they have to work within constraints and you get stuff that mm. is more horrific because they can't be violent mm-hmm. this yeah. felt like instead of trying to create horror within the constraints of you know media for 10 year olds this was how horrific can we make this and still technically get a 15 rating like yeah that, mm-hmm. how can we be creative about we can't do blood and gore every second but we want to make something that is scary and unsettling I, I mean, think- to be fair, some of the ideas that are in there are incredibly scarring. If you just think yeah. about like the visual, yeah. and yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lot at times. It's a horror comedy, and mm-hmm. once again, I enjoyed a Doctor Strange a lot more for everything that wasn't Doctor Strange in it. Doctor mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Strange. Interesting part of his own media. Oh, definitely. Did you uh, did you see the after credits sequence and was yes. incredibly confused like I was? I just I had no idea what was going on. I'm not aware of Doctor Strange comics, so like, uh, much, like much like every end credit sequence at this point, I have to Google which comics character <laughs> yeah. continued continuity. I don't know about. Is we all do that. We're all guilty. Mm-hmm. I'm like, <laughs> is this a tie into the Eternal? What is going on here? Is this another film franchise that I've already seen and I just can't recognize the character? But no, it's a, it's something yeah. different, completely different. And yeah, like, um, I don't know. It it seemed it was nice to see a Raimi film. It was nice to see a different take on it. It, it felt more like a parody of a Marvel movie to me than it did a, a proper Marvel movie because the tone was so different. But I enjoyed that. Like, I, I- actually. 
Yeah, I want to see more Marvel films do stuff like this where they yes, play around. With the definitely. Tone. But I also think that Marvel needs to do a much better job of communicating which films are going to be massive deviations from tone because they've mm-hmm. created what has been like pretty consistently a family yeah. friendly, uh, very boilerplate template thing that like. Yeah, I feel like there are going to be parents who take their kids to see this and go, "Wait, yeah, what is this that I've taken?" Mm-hmm. My like, if mm-hmm. you stand post what this is correctly, I think a lot more people would have cared about seeing it. It's like, hey, come watch a, a Marvel horror comedy. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's something we haven't seen before. Sure. Yeah, I will say. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Mia. Uh, admittedly, I've actually not seen it. Um, I tried. I tried to watch it earlier on, and I was like, "Oh, this is not working for me at all." Um, but yeah, it's a twelve E, and I've heard many a comment being like, "Here, by the way, this is horrifying." This I is a really scary movie. movie. Like, there's stuff in here that's like it's it's impressive if they'd got it into a fifteen to get it into a twelve. Oh. Yeah, twelve E. So you, you can like a twelve year old can go like with if, uh, I think uh, I mean under twelves can go with or with a parent. Yeah. So. so uh, I don't know if I'd shown a lot of twelve-year-olds this without warning. Well, yeah, you definitely want to warn them. Yeah, you you want to let them know what they're going to expect. So it's like, have you seen, have you seen this movie, this movie, and this movie? Okay, you're fine to watch it then. If you haven't, no, get to bed, Jimmy. Get to bed right now. <laughs> you're not watching bed, this. <laughs> I, I feel the complete inverse about this compared to the first Doctor Strange because the first Doctor Strange entirely I was watching for the visuals. I did not care about the story. Mm. Yeah. any way shape or form the mm-hmm. sequel uh, the appeal of the like oh we're gonna really lean into the kaleidoscopic visuals they really backed down on that they did I, didn't they yeah they did care about the characters infinitely more because there was a lot of characters that weren't doctor strange definitely definitely i will say some of the effects were a little bit hit or miss in the film too there's a specific yeah. effect with um with doctor strange that appears sort of like in the the latter third of the movie and it just looks like an like an instagram filter it just looks like a snapchat filter just just popped on top of the I, again i don't want to spoil it but it, 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 oh, it just wasn't quite there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it didn't deliver any of the things i thought i wanted out of a doctor strange film mm. and yet i had a confused and shocked good time with it <laughs> Yeah, I will say the premise went in a completely different direction to what I was expecting too, because they put they leaned so heavily on the um, the Spider Man kind of like connections with the marketing, yeah. being like, oh, you've you've messed with the multiverse in this way, so now this is going to happen as a result, and it, it went in a completely different direction. And uh, it was advertised, and I think it's better for it. But oh. yeah, honestly, yeah. I, I I love being surprised by things, and maybe there's some people out there that will get annoyed by that. But um, I'm I'm really it's really nice that the trailers didn't really spoil anything, like anything major. Obviously, yeah. you see visuals, but they didn't like. I mean, there was one or two things in there that's okay. Let's so say in the trailer you see like a, an an undead strange, right? I wish they hadn't shown me that because then as soon as I like that had been set up, trailers that had that in, I managed to. Oh yeah. That. It was uh, it was it was like prominently in one of the trailers, like towards the 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 end of it, like with the whole like cloak and everything um, made of darkness. So. I'll say this: if you find a way to watch this without supporting Disney, and you start watching it, and you're like, eh, I'm not feeling it. The first third mm. really isn't particularly strong. It's yeah, the, the latter two thirds it sort of works out what it wants to be. Like the first third is very treading water Marvel film. The second third is like. 
oh, we're going to pull the rug out a little bit. And the third act is like, oh, 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 this is not a Marvel third act. What are you doing? This is great. Mm. Like, mm. It gets better after it stops trying to be a Marvel film. Yes, I totally, definitely. Because it, yeah. does, it does kind of, uh, you go into it, like you said, like kind of cookie cut or boilerplate Marvel movie. It does kind of give the audience a bit of, oh, oh, this is a nice change. It's definitely a nice change of pace. It's it's nice to see like a confirmed queer character on screen too, uh, even if it's through the the form of a singular pride pin on their jacket. That's also um, parents that disappear into the nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About <laughs> twelve seconds. See, you know, the, here's right. some lesbians. Okay, they're gone now. Yeah. Right. I'm just happy to know that the progress pride for pin has like. Uh, picked up in popularity all across the multiverse. Like everyone's gotten on board with that we're using the Progress Pride flag now. Exactly. It's nice to know that that that's a multiversal thing that exists across yeah. universes. There's no deviations on that, even though some things in other universes are completely. Ba- I'm not spoiling anything, but completely backwards. But uh, it's nice to know that that Pride stays no matter what. So yeah, that's that's fun. That's fun. Uh, right. So uh, it is time for a section we like to call bite-sized news, which is exactly what it sounds like. We're going to go over everything gaming in the news recently. Uh, So, Luke, you had a uh, a story that you've been looking at? Yes. Uh, This is where League of Legends player Biofrost coming out as gay, Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was incredibly, incredibly brave, like a very good thing for them to do. Like, they are a professional League of Legends player in Mm -hmm. an industry that is aggressive for lack of a better word for anyone who is diverse or minority oh definitely definitely i mean like you say league of legends for starters i'm like yeah no i'm not touching that with a barge pole jesus there there are certain games that i tried playing and never went back to because of the kind of people that gravitate around them and league of legends is one of those that mechanically i love the concept but i'm never playing it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like I, i uh, it just it's it's just known for having like an extremely toxic community and definitely not welcoming. So um, th- doing this, I'm not sure if it's a, a obviously it's definitely a positive thing for for them in their personal life. Whether or not the 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 players and the the fans of uh, of that particular game are going to take that on board, um, I have seen some responses which unfortunately were not supportive at all. And uh, at this point, it's kind of predictable. Uh, it's very, very predictable, but I'm still immensely proud of them for for being yeah. themselves and coming out and 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 again, the reason that they're doing it is literally they were talking about um, how they hadn't had that representation when they were young, and they just constantly went through life being told to you know stop acting like a girl, stop acting gay. A lot of us can relate to this, you know experience that they've had and they even pointed out that that in esports it's not something that gets talked about a lot it's not something that that is even uh, comes is even broached a subject that's even broached so having them come out as as being uh, gay and having and and being in that space i think does say a lot about um about them as a person and it's so nice to actually see them trying to make some positive change in that space as yeah. horrific as it is. Yeah, the, the way that they seem to be talking about it is um, that there was a, a um, quote that I read that it was something to the effect of, I didn't come out because I wanted people to know more about my personal life. I came out because otherwise we're not going to talk about problems in this industry. Yes. I think yeah. that's all, all too often true, is people don't 
aren't going to acknowledge that there's a problem with homophobia in some in in the games industry or in particularly something like League of mm-hmm. Legends competitive, unless there are people going, "Hey, you all know me, you all pay attention to me. I'm gay. Let me talk about the shit I go through mm-hmm. from like the community." Because like, mm-hmm. it's a very different thing when someone who is respected within that space goes, "Hey, this is a problem." I am now a human face to that problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen what happens when people who are perceived as being outside of the space uh, come in and, and start being critical of that space. And um, we, we know exactly what happens um, when, when people do that. Uh, just the, the amount of, of, of vile hate that gets thrown their way is, is awful. So I, honestly, this is the best case scenario for League of Legends, really. Um, if if you're gonna have somebody to to tell you that your space is wrong, you want it to be someone who exists within there and have already uh, proven themselves. The experience in there as well. Yeah, Mm -hmm. despite the uphill battle that there's going to be of of getting that message heard, I think that there is a better chance that people who watch competitive League of Legends will listen to a pro player that they are emotionally engaged in Mm -hmm. than they will someone from the outside who seems like an outsider who's coming in to criticize their their interest it's oh, a lot yeah. not defensive when the call is coming from inside the house yeah yeah i uh, well you'd hope so like i don't know the, the thing that frustrates me is 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 this whole idea of um with games like that of, of trash talk of like it doesn't mean anything that you, you can get away with saying like the most horrendous shit under the sun because like everybody does it and it's just been normalized it's within that not space. Justification at all though. Like no, we've, we've all been not. in those lobbies. Or I read the disgusting vile things. I'm like, you know, on the other end of the screen, there's a real life human being that you are talking to. Mm. Mm. It's a. Uh, incredibly effective for people that are within that space. Well, I remember I stopped playing Overwatch just in general because I I, I think I was like speaking within um, just a match and the amount of like vile like hate that came my way from my own teammates. Mm. It's like, yeah, maybe I just don't interact with, with online competitive games in voice anymore and I, I just leave that part out of the experience now just because it's not worth going through, putting yourself through that, you know? And um. the, the fact that people justify that is... I don't know. I don't know. It's. It's. I don't know what what kind of mindset. It has to be just. It has to be just them just not wanting things to change, right? Just being able to do whatever they want without actually being accountable for anything. Surely, I. I think at least part of it is. It's one of the main remaining. It's one of the last bastions where there is a community that has decided that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you have those kind of thoughts and things that you want to say without critique, there are very few places as good as online competitive gaming to do it and have no one call you out. Yeah, yeah, very, very true. It is. Mm. So moving on to uh, other revelations, uh, we have a, uh, a new Doctor Who that just got cast, a new Doctor that just got cast. Now, putting aside... Again, we've been doing this multiple times today. Putting aside the BBC and everything that's wrong for them, which we'll no doubt we'll get into uh, into yeah. later with you, Laura. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is very interesting news. Uh, it's Shuti Gatwa. I have to. I think that's the correct pronunciation. Uh, who is the new Doctor? And uh, I believe they've been in uh, shows such as Sex Education. I can't remember what character they play because I never saw it. I was watching a compilation earlier today, but they seem fantastic, uh, honestly. Eric, I'm sure. 
Eric, yeah. that's it. Thank you. Yes. Um, I was I, I literally watched a clip earlier and um I, I, just just watching clips of the character, like the best of moments, just so I could mm. familiarize myself with like their acting style and stuff. It's I, I had me laughing and like bawling within the space of a couple of minutes. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy's like super good. They're he has this talented. Yeah. He has this 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 like um chaotic queer energy in the show, even in the clips that I saw, which I thought that is perfect doctor energy. That is that is so yeah. good. I mm-hmm. Here's how I feel about this. I have no doubt this is a fantastic actor who could do a fantastic version of the Doctor. Mm. But I, I, I'm I, holding my praise of this back until I see some episodes because I thought the same about Peter Capaldi, who is a traditionally fantastic yes. who I found great in things. Jodie Whittaker. The problem with the last few Doctor incarnations has not been the casting. It yeah. has been writing and we've had the writing has been awful yeah fantastic people and giving them nothing to work with in scripts Mm -hmm. and them Mm -hmm. having to pull the best performance they can out of absolute nothing and that's what i worry about with this again is Mm -hmm. what guarantee is there that like yeah this this person's greater acting in something like say sex education um Mm -hmm. This ain't the same writing team, and will there be good material with which to bring out that good acting talent? Well, I'm I'm hoping that it's a positive direction because obviously um, the showrunner is now changing over from Chris Chibnall, who uh, did my girl Jodie dirty. Let's just say that um, with with his writing that that now that is character assassination in terms of what what he did to the Doctor. Uh, which we can get into in a little bit. But um, uh, Russell T. Davies, uh, obviously, who headed up the revival of the series back in the mid-noughties, uh, is back on the show. So, again, I, I share those same, like, that the same hesitation with, like, the writing and stuff, but I'm, I'm really hoping that, that he can essentially steer the ship back in the right direction at this point. The episodes of Modern Who that I've enjoyed have generally been Russell T. Davies-era stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, his problems he's not without his flaws but he was much more consistent at producing a doctor who that i was enjoying on a week to week than oh definitely since yeah yeah i like the stephen moffat era was um it was funny it had some unique ideas uh but i don't think stephen moffat can like structure an entire series of a show he's like a really good writer for like specific episodes like he did some of the best episodes of the uh the russell t davies era uh in my opinion uh for the singular episodes that he was in charge of like um um the one about uh, the one the one about the kid who was like are you my mummy that that yes. one he wrote yeah. that one and uh i think blink as well which is a fantastic episode um but like as soon as like he took over uh, it kind of all fell apart a little bit, especially towards the end with Peter Capaldi. And yeah. Chibnall has just been awful. <laughs> I like I, I gave it a chance. I only made it through like halfway through the first season with Jodie Whittaker. Um, but there was there's there's something that was so off about her characterization. It's like she was a bit more fearful and like hesitant than past doctors had been. Was, was it Moffat who was in charge when we got the whole uh, uh, Clara, I think, with the assistant? Yes. Uh, yes. Where it turns out she's the reason, like every good thing that's ever happened in his Doctor OC Who, character. OC is currently the the only reason that anyone ever survived anything. It was all her. She's the best. She is. She's absolutely the best. Yeah, that was Stephen Moffat. Like, yeah, he should not be allowed to to run series. That's. Uh, I know. Yeah. I'm still so frustrated that when it was announced that um I forget the actress's name who was uh, playing Clara when she was announced as the next companion. What I had in my head, because the only episode she'd been in prior, she'd played a Dalek. And I was like, 
Dalek. Mm. Please just give me a Dalek. <laughs> like, I would have been amazing. I want something that's different, something that creates actual conflict and feels new. And mm. a companion would have done that. That's a really mm. clever idea, actually. Just gave us uh, human again. Okay, cool. I, I would have taken one. <laughs> a Dalek companion, uh, definitely. Um, I will say. Thank. There were some rumors floating around that they were bringing back David Tennant, which has kind of like been confirmed today that they're they're bringing David David Tennant and um, who played Donna Catherine Tate back for uh, the 60th anniversary special. Apparently, so that's amazing. But uh, the rumors that were floating around is that they would be like going back to David Tennant as the next Doctor, the next incarnation of the Doctor again, like he'd put on an old face or something. And I just thought that would have been the worst decision possible. I can't imagine more of a, like a spit in the face of like Jody than saying, listen, people, yours was that controversial that we're going back to one of like the most popular doctors. That I'm, I'm glad it didn't happen. It would have screamed we're out of ideas and we're giving up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like, it would have seemed like throwing him the towel to bring him back. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, I will say though, uh, with this new actor that's taking the role, uh, Shudi, uh, obviously you have your typical reaction from 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 people on on Twitter and across the web, uh, people screaming woke and like it's all like to score political points. And at this point, I just feel like if somebody is screaming woke to a black actor being cast in a role now, it's it's pretty on the nose of what they're actually saying. You know, yeah. it's like just yeah. it, it, just say what you mean. <laughs> I'll say the same as I said when Jodie Whittaker got cast. Um, if we're making it canon that we're getting a truly random roll of the dice every time the Doctor regenerates, the fact that mm-hmm. he has consistently been white man, white man, white man, white man, white man, that's far more ridiculous and unbelievable than you've now had one woman and one black person in mm-hmm. amongst the mix. Like, that's... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's I don't know. Some of the, some of the reactions of, of people, it's... Crazy to me, absolutely crazy to me. Especially when you, uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Used to just be racist, bigoted, shit people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, really... the... sorry, me. I go ahead. No, I was going to say the thing that frustrates me the most is the people that believe that they're not racist or bigoted, and then still do the mental gymnastics to try and justify that this isn't something that they want. Like, oh yeah, this is not a, a canon thing. This was never like proven in the canon that 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 you know that they can change it's only the recent years and it's like you're doing a lot of work just to make just to make try and make yourself not sound racist but uh yeah i would like to talk about like i read an article by my friend david chipaku paku um on the metro and his perspective was really lovely because he he's like a huge fan of doctor who and seeing like another black person play a doctor like that's that's like a whole generation of other black kids who get to see themselves Mm on tv like traveling about space and time and i think that's like a really lovely and like joyful experience for them so that's the kind of thing i'm focusing on yeah whenever, whenever i do see these kind of like horrific comments on let's see the end of the day like they're gonna see like so many more happy black kids that i'm gonna see grumpy old red-faced men yeah so, yes like, definitely yeah um it's it's nice to know that this literally one of the things they said like uh, they Shuri watched it when they were young and they're like doing this role now for the kids that are going to be growing up and, and watching it. And I think Russell T. Davies like echoed that too. It's like he watched it growing up. Now he's working on it. He's doing the same thing for for people now who are watching it when they're kids and will eventually be working on the show in the future, which is really great to see. 
Um, and the, the whole idea of like, yeah, this was done for a woke ca- casting just doesn't really hold water because apparently they already had somebody in mind cast. They did all their auditions and like Shuri was the last audition that actually walked in on the day and blew them out of the water that that's what they, then they decided to cast him, which is, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll also mm-hmm. bring in like a, a brand new set of audiences. Like because they've done, like she's done so well outside of something very different from your typical kind of BBC like drama like it's it's netflix mm-hmm. crowd it's like, i think it's like a like a different crowd like i've i was i like doctor who i'm not like a huge fan like I've, i'll keep up with them but i'm really invested in this now i really like this this actor and i think there's a lot of other people who, who are like me who are having that experience who know doctor who exists think oh it's all right and they're like oh actually let me give this another shot mm-hmm. i understand what you're saying it's still not going to make me get the license fee but uh, i understand what you're saying no, no one should <laughs> Uh, right, look, you had uh, another story for us, didn't you? This one's um, interesting. I did. Laughing because I know what's coming. This. <laughs> Activision uh, released a blog talking about the representation in video games they develop, um, the Blizzard Diversity Tool, and uh, quotation, a leap forward for inclusion in gaming. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Amazing. I'm sure we all have lots of thoughts on. Yeah, so I guess the, the summary thing for like anyone who hasn't seen this should know is there's a picture that's done the rounds, which is like <laughs> a, it's a six, a seven-sided little shape that uh, marks characters uh, from zero up to, let's say it's ten at the far end or whatever. Uh, it ranks them on culture, ethnicity, age, ability, body type, gender identity and sexual orientation as binary sliders that you can be more or less diverse in. And some of those you stop and look at and go, what? Activision Blizzard, what, what is, for example, what is, what is the more, what, how do you rank which ethnicities are more diverse than others? How do you rank which sexual orientations are more diverse than others? Is is being lesbian more diverse than being gay, for example? Like, <laughs> how do you decide what you what gets more points on the slider? How do I add more points so that I become more diverse? Like, how does this work? Can I min max my diversity well, chart? Like that's the thing. They have it on this weird point scale as well. It's like zero to like an arbitrary number. It's like okay, what point? Are you on the point scale if you're if you're you know if you're black or if you're Asian? Like, how do they assign random numbers to to that identity, and how does that again yeah. go into how diverse you are? And, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and as like I, the thing that stood out to me reading throughout Vision Blizzard's post about this is mm. they acknowledge the biggest problem with a tool like this in their own post <sighs> without realizing they've done it, where they acknowledge the fact that this tool will need updating over time because it's made by human beings who will have biases that will need to be worked on. The whole point of the tool is to try and eradicate biases, but they point out the problem. Algorithms contain bias. Programs, things, contain biases. There is no information in their blog post on what was the diversity background of the group that worked on this? What was the method? Exactly. I was literally about to say, what are the chances that it was made by a, a group of white guys? I think, <laughs> like, I think we know the group that worked on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 
I think one of the major problems with this so far is that this seems to be their solution to diversity rather than, uh, say, you know, actually hiring diverse, you know, developers and creators and putting them on their team and actually having those lived experiences influencing the characters that are being created. It's trying to boil down diversity into something measurable, something that can be Mm -hmm. put on a graph that can be measured. And I understand why businesses would want to do that, because Mm -hmm. there is a reassurance in the idea of objectivity and the comfort that comes from the idea of if we make a character that scores X on the diversity scale, no one can tell us we didn't make a diverse character and we can't get in trouble. But like, that's not how intersectionality works in the real world. It Mm -hmm. doesn't take into account so many factors and like, uh, it's, yeah. The thing that I'm thinking about this is that, if you are going to use the scale to create your your diverse characters, your quotes, um, surely you're only going to be doing is reinforcing negative stereotypes. Because if you have a bunch of people who this is how they mark diversity, you're just going to be making those stereotypes again. So, from from what I could tell from reading the blog post, it seemed like their intention was to actively not allow a character to have anything that could be considered a uh, a stereotype so like you would be docked points if you had a character that was of an ethnic background that scored high but a financial background that scored low oh that's a stereotype we've got to change one of them like it seemed like that was a thing that they were trying to avoid with it mm-hmm. and it's like mm. I, it's, it's very you're trying to numerize avoiding stereotypes to the point that you're going to really limit the kind of characters you can create because you're too afraid to have anything that might not score points. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of those... Uh, you, ever, you ever seen the AI-generated stories that get, make the rounds in like meme areas on the internet? Where it's just like uh, a, all the information about a specific thing just being fed into an AI and then spat back out. And so you've got like an X-Men movie where it's, this is Magneto, strongest X-Men. I hate you. We shouldn't be friends. I want to kill all the humans. And it just like comes across a little bit like that. It's a very black mirror, you know? I, I think about this as someone who's like, I've, I've done, I've done consulting work with game, mm-hmm. game studios at times in the past. And like, if you try and create a system like this that actively tries to not allow things that are a stereotype to coexist, like, I think about myself. Um, I'm trans and I'm autistic. There's a statistically high overlap of those things happening together. Is that a stereotype that your algorithm should avoid? Or is it a thing that happens and coexists and Mm. should be represented? Like, Mm. there's so much middle ground for nuanced discussion of is this a if if you make your character like this is that a is that good representation or is that you falling into a trope that mm. you just numerically say yes or no because so much of it will depend on what are the specifics of how you create that character it, yeah it yeah like i like a cop out as well like it feels like oh we're gonna we're gonna develop this tool to try and help us meet diverse characters but it's not it's just so you can avoid having a difficult conversation with someone because you know you're gonna feel uncomfortable with that but that's the information you're going to need. It feels mm. like a tool you make so that non-diverse people can make diverse characters without the mm. help of diverse people's input. Yes, yeah, it that's what's worrying, like, right? It's like a bandage that you should not need if you're hiring diverse applicants into your company in the first place. Mm. Or mm-hmm. Even if you haven't done that, 
if you just pay some money to consultants to talk about the backgrounds they're from and to tell you whether your things are sensitive or not, like, just have an exchange of money between you and a diverse group of people who can tell you nuanced thoughts. Don't try yeah. and make a machine to do that for you because mm-hmm. that just seems like you're trying to not engage with minority people about yeah. I, I will say this does seem like the perfect solution for a, a company that's attempted to hire a you know uh, diverse range of people and as, as then uh, essentially like tokenize them and, and and maybe force them out of the company uh, through internal abuse and stuff like that maybe this would be an excellent solution for that um i can't imagine that would be the case so in this situation with activision blizzard no no definitely not yeah um i the, the one thing that was going through my mind when I was looking at all this, like I flashed back to uh, just seeing TikToks about like the 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 number score. I don't know if you've seen these 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 TikToks where people are like, oh, this this universe where everybody has a certain score and it appears ab- above their head and you can keep it secret or whatever. And like, mm-hmm. what is my diversity score? I really want to know what my diversity score is now on on this actual AI. Am I diverse enough? Am I not queer enough? I division. I still want to discover the true character that hits every single point yeah. on that. I need, yes. I need to know who gets all of them. And I I was going to say I need to know who gets zero. I think it's very easy to find characters that'll get zero <laughs> on the diversity <laughs> wheel. Yeah, the default. I think yes. the only one I found is easier to gauge is age. Because I'm looking at like the told yeah. you on what I was saying, like, oh, that's like an old man, right? So age is like one to, I'm assuming zero to a hundred. So I can figure out that. And at that point, we can build the perfect diverse character. Mm, mm, Yeah, ability. I think is disability, but they don't want to say disability. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure ability on there is how how not disabled or disabled are they? Because Tolkien's got a prosthetic arm and his is quite high. I don't know where else disability would go on that chart. Mm I think they've been afraid to use the word disability. Oh, yes. I I don't know where else it goes. They've given given high points to the person who has a robot arm, which which to me says he's missing an arm and an eye, so you scored him high on disability. Yeah. Yeah, uh, obviously this is as the way this has come across. It's it's been a PR disaster for them. Reportedly, um, everybody hates this. I was yeah. going on to uh, go. Well, the, obviously, people who are more progressive kind of hate this. Um, I've been reading articles which absolutely hate this, and also yeah. I, I went and I randomly clicked on an Asmin Gold video, and and he absolutely hates it too, but for very different reasons. Um, it's, yeah, it's not gone over well with anybody, and I really think that should send a message to Activision Blizzard that they should pull their heads out of their butts and actually just yeah. sort out their internal culture and speak to real people. As as I said, as someone that's done consulting work, you can't use a spreadsheet like this to make categories and say a character is is working well from a diversity mm. perspective. Because so much of whether a character works or not, whether they come off as a trope or uh, or a nuanced character, is so down to the specifics. And there are such mm. minute little things that this will not be looking for that, like, you, this won't do it by itself. You will need at some point to get a consultant in anyway, so just do that. Skip the yeah. stage and try and numericize it. Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, like... Uh... If you're hiring diverse creators, they're more likely to create diverse characters. 
I mean, it's not a one-to-one ratio, obviously, but if you've had those experiences and you want to put, turn them into a character and put them down or put onto the page or into a, into a video game, it's, it's likely that you're going to get more interesting, diverse characters, which actually have substance and like a backstory. And like this doesn't even interact with the idea of like the struggle that marginalized communities even go through. Like there's no information on that. It's saying, okay, they're, they tick these boxes. This is a checklist. Does that tell you anything about who the character is and what that means for them? Mm-hmm. No, because you don't have like a writer there who who has had those lived experiences or knows the culture or eh. just having this tool there does nothing for you except for ticks boxes. And it's 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 really, really kind of like horrible to see from, from like also, a creative standpoint. I'm just going to say it now. I'm going to take this graph as uh, canon proof that uh, Zarya in Overwatch is non-binary because they are exactly... Oh, yeah. The and the <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm taking non-binary yes. So I wanted to look at some of the other um, the other graphs that they had, but apparently uh, Blizzard has taken them down from, from the, the page too in the blog, which is unfortunate. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I guess uh, we, we won't be able to find out... Uh, I'm, 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 trying to understand the gender identity one still because i'm pretty sure what they intended is they've given a point for for woman and mm. i'm i'm assuming because like that seems to be halfway down the graph so if this is an accurate graph there's only one other point on the graph which i'm assuming is you've got man at the center woman is is, tra- is trans everything just, else i yeah, guess man <laughs> woman Wait, everything this- else Unless yeah. women's in the middle and then anything past that, that's like I'm, a more ma- like marginalized gender. Women is the, the center point, and I think the only other point is the outside edge, which is mm. not not cis. Let's let's lump everybody not cis yeah. together you, in a big. The second point for not cis, like it, mm-hmm. it, that's, that's an equal jump in gender gender diversity <sighs> right there. Yeah, it's a uh, it's incredibly frustrating. Most definitely, incredibly it's a frustrating. Very, I, yeah. very weighted graph yeah. that's one of those ones yeah. if you don't if you don't laugh you'll cry like yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right uh i'm just gonna do a quick ad read um we were kind of like pivoting uh from the ad reads that we've done in the past week this is actually uh something that might be uh more for you dear listener who is uh watching or listening to this now just as a reminder if you are listening to the podcast for the first time and watching the show for the first time here on twitch make sure you hit that follow button and catch all of our other shows including all the lovely shows coming up we do let's go gaming every week and we have digipride coming up which spans all across june through to august the whole month it's going to be amazing so whether it's our weekly queer charity hangout let's go gaming or the wonderful events coming up at this year's digipride there is something for everyone so be sure to hit that follow button right laura it is time for your spotlight we're going to get to know you a little bit more are you ready i'm I'm as ready as i'm ever going to (laughs) be Okay, great, 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 great. Uh, so um, you, you're a games journalist. One of the things that you do is games journalism. Uh, you've written for Destructoid, Kotaku, uh, The Guardian amongst uh, outlets. Uh, I'd love to know how you first got started with journalism, but generally I really wanted to pick your brain on uh, your history with video games, uh, what kind of games you played growing up, your favorites, how this love for gaming uh, transitioned into making games a career. All the uh, things. I know it's a lot to start off with, but yes. Um, 
Yeah, so I got into video games at a pretty young age, largely because of my older brother, who owned a lot of Nintendo consoles before I did. Um, my first real introduction to video games was the Super Nintendo. Um, I got given a Super Nintendo with a copy of Mario Paint with the little mouse Ooh. on it. Like, it was, I, I had no creative inclinations, but I loved having a thing I could digitally interact with. But like, my, my real point where I like, realized video games were for me uh n64 ocarina of time um oh yeah i was a very isolated uh child um i'm autistic and i really struggled with social interaction growing up i really struggled with interpersonal communication and ocarina of time was the first time i really found video games as an escape and a space where i could feel like i was going off on big grand adventures that i couldn't really do in real life um there was something comforting about replaying the same game over and over and having like the interactions with people were always the same they were very predictable they followed a very reasonable script mm. uh, but i could go on this big grand adventure and feel important and like as someone that was very isolated there was something very strong about that feeling of i don't need anyone else i can go out and make a difference and go do big things and mm. That that was very uh, very significant for me. Um, the other early thing that got me really into video games was uh, the Pokemon games. And oh hell yeah, yeah, I can uh, relate to that. My introduction to Pokemon came from an emulator for PC that had a broken ROM of Pokemon Red that couldn't <laughs> get past Viridian Forest. And I spent so many hours over leveling my Pokemon in Viridian Forest. Um, far beyond the point where they wouldn't obey me because I didn't have the first gym badge and I just kept going and kept going because I really <laughs> there was something really enjoyable about, about randomized collection and filling in you know filling in my little pokedex and having my mm -hmm. collection and watching numbers go up and memorizing what levels things happened and when things when when pokemon would evolve when they learn new moves it really did something for the obsessive statistics learning portion of autism brain and i begged my mum for a game boy for christmas and got a copy of pokemon red and then a copy of pokemon yellow and put hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of hours into playing those games um i was very lucky in that i started playing pokemon like right around the time that it was hitting it's like big cultural peak um mm -hmm. and it was like a really it was a social safety net topic for me as a kid that didn't know how to talk to other people. Um, I knew a lot of statistical information about games that were popular and other kids my age were happy to talk to me because I could answer questions about when Pokemon evolved and where items were hidden and things like that. And it gave me an excuse to be socially relevant and a topic that I could talk about and I knew it wouldn't annoy people. That's and, awesome. Like video uh, games is a way to connect to yeah. others. That's, and, that's cool. Yeah, it, it was my first real experience of like knowing a lot about a topic, not being a detriment and being something I could connect with other people mm. over. And mm. I, I played video games all throughout my life, but I think like that experience is the one that made me want to eventually, you know, talk about video games on the internet was this realization of. I have a brain that loves to just sponge up information about, about video games and to think about them constantly and to have a lot of information stored up here. As much as I love playing them, my best memories of them are 
having an excuse to just let all this information flood out and to just spout about the things I love at people. Mm-hmm. And I I love the conversations around games, if anything, more than actually playing the games. Playing games is mm. something that allows me to have conversations about games with people. And uh, it's why I really enjoyed listening to gaming podcasts before I got into this industry. I just loved people having conversations about games. Um, in terms of actually getting into this as a job, I largely got into it through some luck and some poor circumstance. Um, I was working a supermarket retail job, uh, sort of completely mind-numbing kind of job. I had no, mm. I had no qualifications. I had no future career plans. I, I fell out of, I fell out of school after GCSEs. I had no hopes of going on to further education. The joys of being autistic and trans kind of fucked up the last few years of my education, and I needed something to be doing in this supermarket job that was something engaging my brain. So I used to sit and just come up with article ideas that I wanted to write while I was at work. And I had a little notebook and it was just headlines of opinion articles I wanted to write because I needed something to keep my brain engaged. And I got a lot of my start doing completely unpaid writing. I just wrote stuff for my own little blog just because I mm-hmm. wanted to be working towards something. I wanted to feel like I was doing something. And making that switch to that being a full-time job um, was a bit of a confluence of events. Um, I came out as trans at that supermarket job and I can't prove anything, but I'd never had any complaints Mm. about my work in the four years I'd been there. And three weeks after I came out as trans, oh, we've had customer complaints and uh, your work isn't up to speed. We're going to have to let you go. It's definitely not connected. Sure. Yeah, that's that sounds believable to me. Like, uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, I had been doing games writing for a little while and like a few people had been reading my stuff, but like it wasn't making a living. And I knew a few people who were on Patreon. I was like... I'm going to give, I've got enough saved up. I can afford one month of trying to make this my job. And I'm mm. going to try and I'm going to hope that I can scrape by enough to cover this tiny little one room studio above a pub and like survive on. And if I can do that in a month, I'll go for it. And I was very lucky that during that month, um, by coincidence, uh, James Stephanie Sterling asked if I would be on a podcast they were starting called Podquisition. Um, and I. We, we chatted back and forth a little bit. They, I knew they'd seen my work. I knew we'd gone, like, I'd shared stuff with them in the past. I thought they were asking me to guest on a single episode. I didn't realize ah, that. okay. Co-host, because, like, they were this big person in, in sort of gaming YouTube and, like, this people that people knew. And I was like, me? No one knows who I am. What's going on here? <laughs> and that first episode of Podquisition went up and had something like 50 60,000 uh, downloads uh, in its first week and suddenly enough people had heard who I was that I could scrape by and make a living and I've just sort of not looked back from there. Oh, I did not know that that's amazing. Oh. Like yeah. yo. And like the, yeah. the journey in, in general uh just just going from from working in a shop um a supermarket to 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 where yeah. you are now. Mm. It's just the right person noticed my work and offered me a chance at the moment I really needed it. Mm-hmm. Oh, 
That's awesome. You know, and honestly, like truly, you are a, a joy to listen to. Thank you for telling us that. That's that was really lovely. And I think yeah, I'm I like, didn't want to interrupt you at any point there because really? like yeah, I just wanted to listen and be like, oh my god, this is so nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you're mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. A, an author though at this point. Yeah. Uh, with such titles as things I learned about Mario's butt, which I love. Uh, your memoir, Uncomfortable Labels. Uh, my wife is a my life, sorry, is a gay autistic trans woman. Gender euphoria, stories of joy. Uh, Who hunts the whale? Co-written with your wife, Jane Magnet. And the upcoming Me and My Dysphoria Monster, an empowering story to help children cope with gender dysphoria. Uh, coming out in August, I have to ask, however, why butts? So this ties into that first month of trying to be a creator on Patreon. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I have like a very low bar I was trying to clear. Like after taxes and Patreon fees, I needed to cross like, I think it was like £550 I needed to cross per month to be like, I could just about make this work. Mm-hmm. And I went on Twitter and was just like, what would you pay me a dollar a month to talk about? And <laughs> someone out there is entirely responsible for this. Someone tweeted back at me, video game butt reviews. And I retweeted it as a joke. It was entirely not serious. And I had I had about 50 people tweet me back going, <laughs> and I had this moment of, I was like, I can't not. But mm-hmm. if I'm going to do it, it's a good I, topic. If I'm going to do it, I want to make sure that I have um, a perspective on this that isn't just, haha, butts exist, look at them, they're sexy. Um, and I was like, I, I want to come up with a take on it that works for me. And what mm-hmm. I ended up coming up with was, okay, if I'm going to review video game butts, I'm going to take this way more seriously than anyone should ever take this topic. I am going to... I'm going to put infinite amounts of research into it and I'm going to deadpan say these reviews because they're very serious journalism. And that deadpan delivery apparently worked for people. And it was a fun creative challenge to find serious things to say. (laughs) It's easy to talk about a butt. It's Mm. very hard to find a book's worth of serious (laughs) critique to come up with. Honestly, uh, I I commend you for for being able to get so much out of the topic. Uh, But on a more serious note, I'd love to know what your 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 experience as an author has has been like for you your you know your process any takeaways or, or pointers you can give to the rest of us. I am an awful writer so i will take everything at this point like how how's the experience been from from again just starting your writing and and being and working on your upcoming book. Um, in terms of books, writing has been writing books has been a bit of a challenge for me. And it's something that like it's only really now I have a lot of hindsight that I sort of understand what I found difficult about initially starting to write books. Um I have ADHD and I didn't get diagnosed or medicated until about a year ago. And I look back on a lot of my early book writing work and I recognize that structurally I wrote books that Uh, I could write within the limitations of how my brain's ability to function worked. Um, Mm. If you look at something like Things I Learned from Mario's Butt, one of the earlier books I did, it is a full-length, like, 70,000-word book, but it is a book that is made up entirely of, like, 300-word at most uh, little chunks of text. It is a book that I came up with a bullet-pointed list of characters, and I never had to focus on more than a couple of paragraphs at a time before I could just let my scatterbrain jumped to a different topic it found more interesting and i could mm-hmm. just piece enough small things together that it made a book um like the same for gender euphoria um 
that is an anthology collection that is largely made up of relatively shorter essays. Most of my essays in the book are about 2,000 words each because I recognized my struggles with focus and that I worked best on small compartmentalized things of a certain length and stacking them together worked for me. Um, mm. Can I just say, just to, just yeah. to interrupt you for a second, it's so nice to have a, uh, a book which focuses on like the, the positives of the trans experience as well. And like, I, I commend you for like putting that out into the world. It's one of the reasons I'm, like, I've... Sorry, I've, I bought the book as well for that exact reason because I think a lot of transness, a lot of what people focus on is the dysphoria and like the negatives of it. And that's one thing that I really loved was the joy of the, the euphoria I, from it. I'm, I'm really glad that people had that response. It's it's a book that I wrote because I largely was the same. I was, I, I, I initially wanted to write it in, gosh, it would have been 2018. I was originally, uh, 2017 maybe even. Um, but like... UK media anti-trans hate had really been ramping up. Um, it was getting pretty overwhelming. It was the first like real big wave of this is a lot and I don't know how to deal with it. Mm. And I'd just come off the back of writing Uncomfortable Labels, which had been my, uh, my, my memoir about sort of the intersection of being trans and autistic. And I recognized a lot of in myself that I'd written a lot about my own struggles. And I was like, okay, well, why did I do that? And I sort of thought about that a lot and was like, it's an important part of my narrative and it's a part of my narrative that particularly when talking about intersection felt important to focus on because needs were not being met at that intersection that need to be. And often talking about the things that are difficult uh, is a better way of getting people to add support needs to intersections. But like I was thinking about it and going, my day-to-day life isn't about that. My day-to-day life is me just being happy and loving myself and I'm so overwhelmed by the positivity that being trans has been. I was like, mm-hmm. I know I can't be alone in that. And I know I can't be alone in needing more other people's happy trans stories. And I was so happy with how well that was received. Um, of the books I've done, it's the one that like, it was in front window displays in like big London bookstores. And I was like, oh, um, I'm doing another book that doesn't currently have a name, but it is a similar kind of book, but about autistic experiences, but focused on oh. joyful experiences, which hopefully will be the next book after the currently announced ones. But That's awesome. I actually wanted to touch on, on your currently announced book. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming, I don't want to like jump to conclusions, but I'm assuming that, that the reason that this, this next children's book is, is coming out is for much the same reason as, as gender euphoria. If, can you tell us yeah. about, about that? Yeah, uh, Me and My Dysphoria Monster is an illustrated children's book uh, talking about gender dysphoria from uh, a, a perspective that is intending to try and do a couple of things. Um, the hope is that it can both serve as uh, a tool for any trans youth who struggle to find language to explain what they're going through to have something they can use to provide words, but also for anyone who is an adult who's trans, who's got, you know, maybe younger people in their life who have questions and want to be able to explain what they're going through. And it's it's a book that I largely wrote because I my experience growing up was that I had no language for my experience. Mm. Um, I only reference... Yeah, like my, my only reference point for trans people existing for most of my life was Ace Ventura, Pet Detectives. Yes, yeah, that those scenes, yeah, the, the, that's a lot. That was my entire reference point. And like, I think back on a lot, like I came out 
very quickly after experiencing my first even vaguely positive piece of trans representation. Um, the piece of media I'm going to recommend here, uh, it's flawed, it's not perfect, but mm. like, take it for what it is, uh, was an anime called Wandering Sun um, about mm. two trans kids um, both basically just like trying to work out their gender stuff. And it's not perfect, it's got flaws, but what it did was it showed respectful trans people whose lives weren't going to be ruined by trying to be who they were, uh, verbalizing thoughts that I'd had in my head for years and no one had ever said, and I'd been worried I was the only one who felt. And, like, I watched that 12-episode series in one night, cried at my wall for five hours and came out. Um, Because, like, having language for what you experience and seeing that someone else has felt the thing you feel, sometimes that's enough. And that's the perspective I came to write in this children's book with was wanting to create something that might give someone the words that they can look at and go, it's that thing that I didn't know how to talk about. And just trying to provide a tool that might be able to help. Um, Mm. In the back of the book, there's there's like more in-depth information for parents that like read it with a kid and they're like, need more in-depth stuff. But like, I'm really happy with the, the what's there. Honestly, like uh, I, I wish personally that I'd had something like that when I was growing up. But like, yeah. I can, I can talk about like we probably have very similar experiences. I, Ace Ventura being the only media representation, and uh, I think the other one, Chandler's dad, yeah, in, uh, in Friends, yeah. and it was always punchline or villain. It yeah, exactly. Like, if you do this, you'll be a punchline or a villain or both. Mm-hmm. So I can I only think it, it's it's going to be amazing for kids to potentially have uh have that that not only that representation for them but the, the ability to to help them figure out who they even are as well is it's such a powerful thing and, and also and, have um, the language to discuss it as well i think what you're mm. saying really really helps a lot because you do you have these thoughts but you don't know how to portray them at all like um like i've had a few kind of like um I've, i'm obviously non-binary but i didn't i never had any way to discuss those thoughts until I'd met my partner who is who's a trans man. Um and he he taught me a, a great deal. And it's one of those things that I really wished I'd known about earlier on. So sometimes mm. just having very basic vocabulary and an example mm. that you aren't the only person who's ever felt this can be enough. And yeah. I the book's not out for a couple of months yet, but like the pre-release reviews have been really good and I'm feeling kind of hopeful that I've done an all right job with it. I'm feeling very proud of it. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. I'll have to make sure uh, one gets sent to the gaming headquarters when it releases. That's, uh, yeah, I'm just going to make sure everybody reads it. That's, yeah. uh, that's, that's my thing. Mm. Luke, you um, had the next uh, question? Uh, yes, you, uh, as you mentioned <laughs> earlier on, uh, co-host the podcast session uh, with Stephanie Stolen and Conrad Zerman, a podcast which has been running for almost eight years, which is a long time. Uh, that's really long are there any special memories or moments that you hold on to from that oh it's it's weird to think about that show in that like that that show basically started concurrently with my being a a person that made my living talking about video games and Mm. the industry feels like such a different place only you know eight years later um a lot of the early years of that show were very ridiculous and bombastic there was a lot of like i used to do uh recurring segments about 
eating and drinking bizarre food and drink concoctions. Mm-hmm. Weird sex games are found on the internet. Um, and like it's it's a, it's been a weird shift over the years in that now the show is much more of a directly addressing the terrible politics of the video game industry. And I think that's just a a byproduct of what the industry has been the last few years and the sort of mm. raising vocalization of the problems going on in it. But like, I think about the times I've really, uh, like some of my fondest memories on, on that show. Um, one of my favorite memories is I used to very much be the person that edited the show sorted out the to- and to a certain degree i still am i sort the topic list every week i managed that show and the first time i wasn't on the show for a few weeks was um i, I went for lower surgery and i was not going to be on the air for a while and i listened to the first episode after i left <laughs> it sounded like it'd been recorded on like two tin cans with spring between and i had a little i had a little moment of oh 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 bless them i don't know what they're doing <laughs> That was kind of endearing. Amazing. And mm-hmm. I, I came back and was like, okay, don't worry, I'm here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix everything. I'm gonna wrangle you. <laughs> Children. That's uh, not I I thought I'm 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 so glad. I'm like I've I've been a listener for for a very, very uh long time. I I don't know if I was there at the beginning, but like um it's it's so good to have that space that exists and is is consumed by so many people that is again highly critical of some of the practices that go on in the industry uh there are you know youtubers and and personalities that do talk about that stuff but uh there's a lot of places it just doesn't get talked about so it's nice just to have that hub of literally just taking the piss out of everything that's wrong with the industry yeah Yeah. It's been a really needed catharsis for me. Like, I think this industry would have worn me down if the show mm. hadn't sort of shifted to what it is now to a degree. It's mm. it's good to have an outlet valve to be like, to remind myself that I'm not the only one frustrated with where the industry is going. Mm-hmm. And to be in a space surrounded by other people who are like, yes, let's talk really frankly about how bad that is, um, while also still having fun with video games and knowing that the two yeah. of those can coexist and the fact that the show has managed to stay um, as successful as it's been in that shift has been really reassuring because it has reassured me that we've created an audience that is willing to follow us on a journey of holding these creators to account, which is mm-hmm. nice to know because that's always a worry you have when you mm-hmm. start a project being like, haha, fun and jokes, and try and get serious later is knowing whether people will be up for listening to you and, and being serious with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see that in other situations going going terribly depending on the audience. But it's it's just good that you've fostered an audience which is open and understanding and and allowed for that change. I think at least part of that is because having at least one openly trans co- uh, host on the show, right? Definitely, from, yeah. Weeded out a lot of the people who wouldn't have been okay with us talking about mm-hmm. politics, having lefty political views. We weeded them out at the start. Whoever was mm-hmm. left with willing to shout at <laughs> billionaires are bad let's have more unions <laughs> yeah yeah honestly um it is it is a fantastic show but it's not your only podcast of course you also have queer and pleasant strangers that you host with your wife jane incredibly wholesome uh could you tell us a little bit more about that what is it like hosting 
uh, with your wife, essentially. Is the dynamic different? Yeah, so Queer and Pleasant Strangers is um, a media review podcast interspersed with silly voices and skits. And <laughs> a show that is mainly just made for me and my wife to have fun and catch up on our mm-hmm. week. Those things where both of us do a lot of work outside of regular working hours. And it's nice to have a point in the week where we just sit down and catch up on what the other's been doing. Um, but like, it's 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 been it's been a really nice show to do in that right from the first episode, very unapologetically, we were like, we're just gonna very much lean into our weird, very specific personal brand of humor. It's all gonna be lighthearted and positive, but it's if you don't if you don't enjoy the humor, that's fine. It's not for you. I'm making my wife laugh, and yeah. if, you, if you can't enjoy my wife giggling along at my silly puns, this ain't for you. Yeah, I, so it's it's more so for yourselves first than it is for anybody else, which is which is lovely to hear. Actually, yeah, it's it's nice to have a piece of content that like I really don't mind how that does on views. Like I, that is that mm-hmm. is a distant second priority in that. Like yeah. I I want to make a thing that's wholesome and nice, and that we have fun making. And go if we have fun making a nice wholesome thing hopefully that will translate to the kind of people who enjoy that nice wholesome space congregating around it and we can just enjoy the little community we've made and like we've made a really lovely little space around that show from just being very unapologetically slightly slightly weird queer people having having a giggle together Really oh yeah, you, you gotta nice. love it. Uh, I'm all about slightly weird queer people just just having a good time. Hell yeah. um, mm-hmm. I would love to talk about your YouTube series Accessibility. Um, obviously, making video games accessible to everyone is something that you're incredibly passionate about. Where do you think the industry currently is in regards to that? How much more work needs to be done, and who's doing the best job right now is making these experiences accessible? Okay, where to where to start on this? Mm. Um, Big question. Big question. Yeah. So, in terms of where the industry is at right now, um, I think that we've gotten past the hurdle of needing to recognize that accessibility is important. Like, generally, companies recognize accessibility. That is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a lot of companies who are currently doing it as a box ticking exercise. They know that it's something they're supposed to do, and the features are technically there, but the execution isn't always consistent. Um, a big part of what I advocate for the, uh, at the moment is. The features you're already doing, just learn how to do them to industry standards consistently is a big part of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is there any kind of like guidelines or anything for industry standards at this point? Or you think that would be like a no brainer? There are. And there are things that we're working through trying to get standards and talk about the things that should be standards. But it's a slow learning process getting developers there. Um mm. A lot of like the big headlines around accessibility about games that uh, do their big flashy things. And like, granted, some of these games really do deserve um, praise for what they've achieved. The Last of Us 2 is the big example everyone knows that is a game that mm-hmm. AAA action game that can be compla- played completely without any vision, which is a wonderful step for this industry. But a lot of those steps are inconsistent you can't rely on them they're little isolated things that happen um sony in particular is great at doing isolated games that have great accessibility settings and then having their next first party release have nothing in the way of accessibility (laughs) and like they they wildly swing back between being the best in the business and not trying at all 
would that be like particular studios that they have under their houses or, or? So. like the, the problem seems to be that they've not done the step of the studios they have like naughty dog who are doing the best work in that regard just going mm. right all of our other studios sit down with naughty dog let them explain to you what they did and why it worked and how you mm. can do it and then you go execute it like it seems like they've not done that into studio mm-hmm. uh knowledge sharing uh, Just Microsoft, get them to make a design document and share it with everybody else, essentially. Yeah. Um, Microsoft, on the other hand, nowhere near as many like big uh, attention-grabbing uh, accessibility stuff in games, but they're much better at consistency. Um, mm. You could really reliably count on uh, first-party Xbox games having a very consistent level of accessibility that is the same across all of their games. They have a much better job of things like having a storefront where you can check which games have which specific accessibility settings that Microsoft has checked are up to a certain quality bar mm. threshold. And like, they're not just there, but they're there and good. Um, Nintendo by far of the console manufacturers is falling the furthest behind. Um, yeah. They just do not seem to care about this conversation. <laughs> um, they, do you think that? sorry, sorry. I, I, go ahead. I, I was going to say, do you think there's like a massive difference in terms of like, um, and and not to make it about again about location, but but Japanese developers versus Western developers? There is undoubtedly the case, and you're seeing some uh, you're seeing some Japanese studios that are starting to get there. Um, Capcom has been like starting to pick up on this conversation in the last year or so, but like Nintendo really stubbornly refuses to get on board with even the most basic of standards. Mm. And you'll like the the example I always want to give of how bad Nintendo misses the mark. Pokemon Sword and Shield. Yeah, I knew you were going to say this. Had sliders for audio, so you could mix the audio, so you could turn down uh, things that weren't gameplay critical audio. You had to find one random NPC, a couple of times (laughs) game who was not signposted, who was in no way special, to give you an item to go in your inventory to unlock the ability to change the audio sliders, which is an accessibility setting. It's ridiculous. Yeah, no, I, I literally was going to bring up that example, uh, and as well as like just having no option to mess around with audio in games like Animal Crossing too, yeah. which is the most basic of things you think that they would have. They're really bad at basic things like having uh, visual ways to get audio, otherwise audio-only information. They're really bad mm. at not having any kind of control customization, even the most basic possible. Like, they just are not engaging with the conversation at all which is really unfortunate um but like yeah i'm trying to remember what the rest of your question you had a lot of questioning yeah so we had where the industry is at now I, uh, basically kind of along the lines of what you're saying it was like who's doing the best job right uh, now making those experiences accessible so you kind of covered it covered it already right now sony is doing amazing things inconsistently Microsoft is has a much more solid track record and Nintendo should barely be considered in the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully that that uh, that changes over time. I definitely think like pushing for like an industry standard uh, just like there's, there's a lot something of in that way. There's a lot of things that like I could list off now that really should be industry standards at this point. Mm. Having subtitles that are proper closed captions that have things like speaker tags that you can put a dark background behind the text that you don't have huge amounts of text per section of text in the subtitles 
are mm. having options for colorblind modes that are dedicated for each of the main types of colorblindness, having um, text-to-speech enabled to uh, automate reading out uh, in-game text to you. Like, mm. so many of these things are just, like, really basic things that it's... No development studio should have to be told at this point that those are really simple things to get into doing. Mm-hmm. Like, If you want to... Yeah. If I was gonna say if you want a checklist to to mark, that's the checklist you should go for, really. Like just yeah. stuff like having a, a font for dyslexic people, you know, something that's more easily yeah. readable. Yeah. Even if you just use something open source like open dyslexic, like have something mm. that isn't your stylized pixel fonts. Um mm-hmm. like, these are such basic things that it's frustrating that we're still having to have the conversation around those and we can't get mm. onto the interesting conversations like uh, would it be good if Nintendo uh, actively sought out permission to use high contrast mode from Sony's games because that would really benefit handheld gaming and its smaller screen factor? Mm. Screens really benefit from increased contrast for low vision users. Like, those are the interesting accessibility conversations I want to have, but we're still at, like, no, you need to put subtitles in, please. Yeah, we need the very <laughs> basics. Like, we'd have to walk before we can run. From an outside Let's... perspective, though, like, I was, it does seem to be getting more traction from what I've seen. Like, it does seem to be, like, a lot more people are engaged with the conversation. I, I think that, like, there was a really big shift a few, like, in the few months that followed The Last of Us 2, and I think a big part of it is because that game got a lot of critical reception, and a lot of not uh, reviews that weren't aimed at disabled users were very praiseworthy of those settings. And it made a lot of developers suddenly aware of, oh, this could be financially profitable and something that we can get good reputation for doing. And whether that's why it happened or not, it led to a lot of developers starting to go, we should put accessibility stuff in so that we can announce we've done it and get a good headline. And I don't mm. care if that's why they do it. As long as, as, long as doing, they do, right? Yeah. yeah. Whatever reasoning you need. And generally, I think that's a really good sign. Like, we've started to get to a point where, like, IGN will now run accessibility reviews sometimes. I'm like, that's great. We never would have seen that, like, three years ago. That's wonderful mm-hmm. news. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, right. Just to, to pivot the conversation slightly. Um, obviously, you're not just an icon in the gaming industry, but you're also an activist. Uh, you've helped organize and have spoken to several protests uh, via Trans Activism UK, uh, be it protesting against the BBC's biased coverage when it comes to discuss- discussing trans people and trans issues, uh, as well as the government's ludicrous decisions to leave trans people out of conversion therapy bans for some insane reason. Um, first off, I wanted to say thank you uh, obviously, it's very important that trans voices are heard, but it's usually relegated to online spaces. So having real, like, tangible people occupying a space has so much more of an impact for, like, the everyday person. Like, because we're so isolated online a lot of the time. Um, f- for the for the normal person on the street, the, like, nobody's going to, like, interact with that conversation. So that's so great to see. And I wanted to ask what lit the spark for you to get directly involved and and how trans activism came about um so i knew i needed to do something for a while mm. um i for a couple of years in the run up to starting to do more protesty stuff myself i'd been very much the kind of trans person that relied on communal events like your sort of trans prides and things to feel that sense of 
community and there's other people around and we all feel fed up with how things are going. And Mm. those kind of events are easy to attend in that they have a sense of we're within our own community and there's a sense of safety there. And it's a place to go get recharged and feel more energized for that fight. But it's not necessarily that fight happening often. It's its own little ball. And much the same as the pandemic really lit a fire under me to write Gender Euphoria, it also really lit a fire under me to do more shouty activism in the... In a year where anti-trans rhetoric was really stepping up in intensity combined with the knowledge I wasn't going to have those sort of positive community events as something I could rely on to feel better and feel like mm. something was, stuff was okay. I knew I needed other things. And part of that was gender euphoria. Part of that was finding an outlet to focus on positivity. But part of it was I need to do something that is more in your face and more aggressively getting something done and I wouldn't have been able to do that myself. I don't think I'd have had the impetus to start. But um, one of Trans Activism UK's um, founders, Felix, had done some prior protest work before and um, had been looking for people to help work on protests. And I was like, perfect. You know what you're doing and how we do a protest and not screw that up. You know the logistics. I have anger and fury I need to point somewhere. Can I help? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it basically was just I had a, I I needed an outlet to shout, and that was in front of me as an option. Um, yeah, yeah. This seems like a, an amazing outlet. To be fair, like again, so much of of what now is 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 feeling like our our voices are going out into the the darkness a lot of the time and just just not being heard. So again, I commend you for 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 starting it. Um, Truly. could you? We did mention the BBC thing before. Uh, did you want to go into more about that? Because obviously yeah. that you, you literally protested outside of the BBC headquarters. Yeah, BBC, so. was, BBC was fun. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I, I won't go too deep into the specifics, but there was an article in October of 2021 uh, that was released by the BBC that was published um, by, published by someone who had known anti-trans biases that mm-hmm. surveyed an anti-trans hate group uh, with a tiny little sample size survey. And it basically stopped legally shy of saying that all trans women are rapists. But yes, it walked right up to that line and didn't dare tiptoe a step across it, but it did throw the allegation over. Um, And like the BBC has been on a downward spiral of anti-trans coverage basically since the uh, GRA reform consultation was announced back in 2016. But this article was a bit of a a powder keg in that, um, not only was it such a direct um, allegation against the community, so uncritically represented, like this mm. piece in no way acknowledged the, like, liter- in some cases, literally genocidal beliefs of some of the people involved in it, uh, that it it was like the clearest sign we'd had that the national broadcaster here in the UK in no way intended to prevent trans hate from being broadcast as legitimate. Um, yeah. And as a group, we wanted to do something. We wanted to organize a protest. But like the thing we immediately wanted to do was we put together an open letter to the BBC, basically that same day, breaking down every problem with that piece. And uh, within a couple of days, it had 20,000 signatures. Um, 
and we basically spent several months like trying to force the BBC to engage with what they had done. Um, mm. From what we heard, um, like there was huge internal like um, conflict that began at the BBC, uh, majorly on age uh, lines, like. From what I hear, most of the young people working in the BBC are very pro-trans, and it is mm. largely the old guard that are digging in their heels and like actively refusing <sighs> to be positive. We got like leaked audio of like the BBC telling staff, "You either get okay with us publishing this anti-trans stuff, or you get out." Like mm. it was, it was a wild thing. Like the BBC wrote an article about our open letter, and that was a very weird experience of oh. <laughs> Oh, you've you've had to acknowledge my my angry screed of um how much you fucked up. You had to acknowledge it. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, we spent a few months basically trying to push people, um, and particularly trying to rally rally cis allies as well to sort of get behind this with their feelings to complain and escalate their complaints and keep complaining and to not let the issue drop. And mm. eventually, a couple of months later, we hosted a protest outside their door. Um, we had the worst possible weather we could have had. It was like absolute torrential mm. rain, but we still had hundreds of trans people outside those doors. We set up a stage and some speakers and we just had a good shout outside their front door. Um, and I, I remember listening to, to your uh, speech at the time. It was very, very inspiring, especially about like they've used you so often in the past to, uh, just just speak on so many things in terms of in, in like in BBC shows and on the news and, and things like that. Um, but the idea that they're not featuring like trans voices in any of the conversations now is just it's so gut wrenching. And like the, the the power that you brought across when you were talking about you'll never do anything with them again. You know, very impactful. It it's it's frustrating. It's one mm. of those things where like. I don't know how much tangible impact that protest had in had or will have in terms of like actually changing anything going on inside that building. But if nothing else, it meant that a lot of people in that crowd could feel like they were being heard and mm -hmm. could feel like they weren't being ignored. And at the very least, there had to be... like Considering the amount of security outside those doors and the amount of barricades they put up, someone inside that building got real scared about trans voices coming and being loud. And there is something empowering about knowing if, yeah. even if <laughs> we made you shut yourself inside your castle scared for a day. And there's something well, to. <sighs> definitely. It's always fun to make the cis bigots uh, terrified. <laughs> uh, something you should be very proud of absolutely it's incredible um i would like to talk about about trans joy however um because last year you got married to your partner jane and oh. you did it in a very unique way would you would you be so kind just to share that story with us yeah so uh our wedding happened very spontaneously we had about two weeks notice um <laughs> I am autistic, and I'm a bit of an autism stereotype in that I love trains. Um, I am one of those autistic people. Not so much the like mechanical, how, how they function, or, or the statistics about them. I'm very much the societal function that trains play in this like very mm -hmm. predictable, uh, very reliable form of like uh, repetitive public transport. I find really calming and lovely. Um, and there was a competition on Twitter run by uh, a train company, Avanti West Coast, who were just like, 
would you like to get married on a train? We'll pay for your wedding. We'll pay for all the wedding things. It could be on a moving train. And I was like, okay, never going to get it. But like, there's a, there's a, there's a chance of winning a wedding. Why not? And I, they wanted me to put like a one sentence explanation of why I should win this wedding. And I was basically like, I'm autistic and I love trains. Also, um, gender recognition stuff to get married as a trans person in the UK is ridiculous and it has delayed us getting married for ages and it would be really nice to just have that done because like we finally got through the paperwork things we need to be Mrs. and Mrs. Can you give us a wedding so we can be Mrs. and Mrs.? And a few weeks later, I get this email out of the blue that I assumed was a joke or it was spam. Um, mm. It was like, yeah, you've won a wedding. Email us back. And... Yeah, they were like, we we have a specific date it would need to be, like this date in like two weeks, and there's a limit because of COVID on how many people you can have, but we will sort wedding dresses, we will sort catering, we will sort like everything, we'll sort photography and video, and we'll give you a private first class carriage on this train to do this to and from journey over several hours, and you can have your own music on the thing, and... I went downstairs very nervously to my my now wife and was like, I appear to have won us a wedding. (laughs) 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 Two weeks on a train, which is uh, quite a thing to drop on someone. Hmm. Uh, But once the initial, ah, two weeks is a very short time to plan a wedding, um, we went, okay, screw it, let's do it. And I got to wear a very nice, very fancy wedding dress, and mm-hmm. I, I do have a picture. Actually, it's going to be terrible for the uh, the audio uh, listeners, but there is a uh, a picture of, of the article that was written in the Evening Standard about it uh, right here, and it looks like you had a fantastic time. How did the actual day go for you? The day was lovely. Um, we had to go like pretty early in the morning to to get there in time for everything, which is fun because I had to travel on the tube to Euston Station in my wedding dress. <laughs> uh, we had like the first class, uh, like the 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 uh, first class lounge at the train station just for us, and we had a nice little reception with uh, like a little photo booth and um, uh, champagne, and then we uh, we got taken on one of the little luggage buggies at the train station, but they'd done it up as like a thing with a bunch of like gay colors and rainbows all over it uh got to go on a little drive that involved going through the secret back areas of the train station that no Ooh. one that sounds there. amazing oh that's cool uh all of the <laughs> message boards in the train station that have like when the trains are coming mm-hmm. had messages about our wedding and then <sighs> we, got, adorable. we got on the train we did like walk down the aisle and the vows in the moving train um did our first dance on a moving train, which is difficult when you have low coordination. <laughs> like the train will turn a corner and yep, try and not fall over while slow. <laughs> uh, I think the most difficult bit to do on a train was cutting the cake because they want you to. Like, oh my god! Yeah, cake cutting folk. And neither of us is holding on to anything on a moving train with a big knife. <laughs> but it was a lovely day. Um, really wonderful. Uh, and by the time we got back from this like return train journey, they already had a photo album printed. I don't know how they do- where they got it done of photos of the day of us with all our friends already printed that they handed to us at the end of the day. And that it is was, amazing. That's, was a that's spectacular. We didn't have to worry about anything. We just showed up mm-hmm. where we were told and had a wedding. Nothing mm-hmm. was our thing to think about. It was great. <laughs> 
That's, it's a hell of a story yeah. as well. Like, absolutely. I've been absolutely blown away. You both look so, so happy. It's so nice to see you. It, it, was, it was lovely and it was very nice to take... A wedding seemed like a very stressful idea until other people were responsible for everything. That was good by me. Mm, mm. Okay, so uh, this is the the last main question uh, of the day, and I don't want to pull us too much into the darkness. So I actually wanted to ask uh, if you had anything you personally wanted to share with anyone who's who might be feeling scared right now, any young LGBTQIA plus people who might be listening. Is there anything that you would want to like communicate to them to say to them? A very heavy topic. As a community, LGBT people have been through some rough stuff in the past. And there will be tough times now. There will be tough times to come in the future. And when you're in the midst of those, it can feel like a lot. It can feel very easy to feel defeated. It can be very easy to feel like every time you put out a fire, another one crops up and... Mm -hmm. I think the thing to remember is that nothing ever changes if you get complacent. And as tough as it can be sometimes, every societal change that has come before this one has come from people who have felt just as tired as you, finding that little bit of extra and going, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to keep fighting. And I think that it's important to look at the context of history. I think that while we may be going two steps forward, one step back sometimes, if you add enough of those up, it does mean we're going forward. I think mm-hmm. that if you look at how views on, say, the trans community are broken down by age groups, it's very clear that time is on our side, that mm. history will not look fondly on these moments and that things will get better, that we are moving in the right direction. And I think a lot of the violence and a lot of the anger we're seeing right now is the final struggles of hateful groups that know that they're losing the battle Mm. i think that if if they thought they were winning if they thought that this was a battle they were going to win they wouldn't need to be nearly so aggressive about it they the fact that they are so aggressively trying is because they know they're on the losing side of this and every battle that feels tough it's okay for it to feel tough but just keep fighting the good fight because we're getting there and we'll get there yeah yeah (laughs) yeah that's incredibly heartening to hear now uh, perfect wording perfect wording and like i don't know where you pulled that from uh but that again amazing amazing if that had been me on the end of that question i would have just panicked and and like (laughs) ah but speaking of panic uh, we always end our podcasts with a little section we like to call quick fire questions. I'm not sure if you're yeah. you're aware of this or seen this, but um, yeah, this is a little fun thing that we like to finish off with. Uh, so essentially, we're going to ask you a series of questions. You just have to stream of consciousness, say the first thing that, that comes I'm to your mind. Just letting words tumble out of my head and eventually they'll mean something. So <laughs> Okay, so that's perfect. Luke, you've got right. the first question. Uh, what is your favorite game this year? Oh, um, possibly that. Uh, oh no, Elden Ring. Elden Ring. Elden, Elden Ring. Ring. Good choice. Has, yeah, Elden Ring has monopolized my year so far. Good choice. Good choice. Uh, what was the one game that defined your childhood? You may have had an insight. Uh, it's got, it got to be Pokemon. Uh, specifically, yeah. Pokemon Yellow was my childhood. Uh, what is your favorite video game character? 
Uh, favorite video game character? Uh, Ubisoft's terrible, but Jade from Beyond <laughs> Evil is like always the one I jump to. Eventually, we'll get that sequel. Eventually, maybe. I don't want that sequel. That sequel oh, doesn't really? have anything I want anymore. Oh, <laughs> you know what? Perfectly valid. Perfectly valid. Everything that made the original interesting. <laughs> Funnily enough, the next question will interest you. Then, which game do you most want a sequel to? Coincidentally, ah, oh, uh, most want a sequel to. Um, it was going to be Beyond Good and Evil for the longest time until that all all screwed up. Um. I really don't know. There's a oh, mm. goodness! You've stumped me for a second there. My brain is we'll, we'll circle. Um, we'll circle back. We'll circle okay. back. Uh, maybe not sequel, but I'd love to see another game in the same universe as Disco Elysium. That I, works. I love that world really? building, and I want to see another story in that setting. Oh yeah. Uh, who would be your dream stream? Uh, sorry, who would be your dream stream guest? All podcast guests could be anybody, uh, alive or dead. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance just because the <laughs> romance is on the brain, so give me an excuse to talk to a person who sings words I like. Hell yeah. Which game are you most looking forward to coming out? Is it Breath of the Wild 2? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You did that last. Yeah, Breath of the Wild 2. Uh, if you're marooned on an island, what three games would you want to have with you? Mm. Gut Instinct. Uh, Tetris Effect? Um, uh, I want something I can just play endlessly. Uh, so, something Pokemon Legends Arceus for shiny hunting in because okay. I can re- squeeze hundreds of hours out of shiny hunting in that. And oh, this, this game can have internet, by the way. It's a, it's a magical yeah. island which you can't escape from, but it has internet. <laughs> Um, gosh, I can't think of a third one off the top of my head. Those are the first two that jumped to mind, and I'm suddenly freezing up. Apparently, I'm not as good at rapid fire as I thought. <laughs> that's 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 good enough. Okay. Uh, which two. game has the best soundtrack? Ooh, best video game music. Mass Effect Two. Ooh, I, like I think that, that game's soundtrack is a masterpiece. And it's pretty damn good. I remember, like, I think just the Mass Effect game series in general has some amazing music. Yeah. I remember I used to work in uh, a game store, literally game, and uh, I was in charge. Well, I kind of took it upon myself to put stuff on the, the televisions, like little ads and stuff. I would constantly use the same, uh, like, background audio track uh, from Mass Effect just in the background of that because it was like so, so melancholy and melodic yeah. and I, I loved it so much. The whole series has great music, but two in particular, like when you start getting towards that final, like the the mission of no return, all mm. of the music in there is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're free to take as much time as you like on this next question. Yes. Uh, where can people find your content and what have you got coming up on your channels? Uh, you can find me at Laura K Buzz on all of the places that have usernames, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, TikTok, uh, Patreon. That's the one that mainly pays the bills. A uh, dollar a month really helps mean that I can keep doing this consistently. Um, I do a bunch of podcasts. Podquisition we mentioned earlier, Queer and Pleasant Strangers. Uh, Dice Funk is a Dungeons & Dragons real play podcast. Each season's its own self-contained story. I'm on seasons three, four, five, six, seven, and 8. Um... Other than that, we mentioned a bunch of my, my, my books earlier. The, the main one at the moment is Me and My Dysphoria Monster comes out on August 18th, 2022. So that's like almost three months away now. Um, 
accessibility is on YouTube every Friday. We put up episodes every week. That's that's basically it. Just search Laura Kemp find all the a things. A big list, a big yeah. list. A lot of content to get involved with. A lot there. You ha- literally have no excuse. Go and, go and do the Google searches right now. And uh, my lovely co-host, Luke, what have you got coming up? Um, I stream Monday through Thursday, half on UK time onwards. Um, at the moment, like I said earlier, it's a bit of Skyrim. However, admittedly, I've not played the Stanley Parables up to that tomorrow. <laughs> so I'm actually really excited to get into it. Exciting. Um, and you can find me at Luke Boogie pretty much everywhere, TikTok um, and Twitch. However, on uh, Twitter, it's Luke Boogie Games. You can find me at. Ah, branding. Such a fickle beast. <laughs> uh, right, Luke and Laura, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I've had a hell of a time. I hope you've enjoyed yourselves. Yeah, um, it's, it's It's been absolutely fantastic, like picking your brain. Um, you're, you're somebody that I've, I've looked up to for a very long time. And uh, to actually get to sit down and actually talk to you and um, find out a little bit more, dig a little deeper, uh, has been great. Uh, so again, thank you. Thank you for being yeah, here. Thank you, Laura. And... Uh, Thank you, everybody, too, for being here on this, this episode of The Gaming Podcast Live. We'll be back in two weeks' time with the next episode. Uh, Same time, same gaming time, same gaming place. You can also check out Let's Go Gaming. That'll be on the channel every week, I think that is, on Wednesdays or Thursdays at 8 p.m. UK time. I think we're playing Evil Dead this week actually that's gonna be that's gonna be fun i tried playing that the other day and it was a a chaotic mess because i was just playing it with a bunch of other queer creators and and none of us had it together which is constantly screaming so i'm hoping let's go gaming goes a little bit better but if you want to check that out that's here on the twitch channel twitch.tv forward slash gaming mag with a y g-a-y-m-i-n-g mag and uh yeah make sure you hit that follow button but uh before then you can follow the gaming mag channel here on twitch or subscribe on the youtube channel too so you don't miss any of these amazing shows and of course the podcast can be listened back to on any time on all major podcast platforms thank you so much for joining us here today uh really appreciate y'all and uh we will see you soon for the next episode of the gaming magazine podcast bye for now bye everybody 